2012 special meeting. That one probably got hidden back there. <laughs> Glad we caught that. January 8, 2013 special meeting and the regular meetings of December 19, 2012 and January 9, 2013. So moved. Second. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all in favor say aye. Aye. Thank you. Next on the consent action items, this is a first reading set for public hearing on February 13. This is a resolution providing supplemental appropriations to the 2012 budget running from September to through December. We had a work session on this previously. Um, and I know we have our finance department is all out sick with the flu. I'm just here able to answer any questions we might have right now. Well, well any questions might be uh, um, too optimistic, but uh, you know, just for the, the public, um, the resolution, um, and, and Steve, for your benefit, um, what we do is we bring um, budget increase items forward um, over the course of the year uh, to get the board's uh, approval. And then we uh, move all of the items that are approved by the board into a resolution. And we do those on a quarterly basis. So this is wrapping up for the, the last quarter. So all of these items have been uh, reviewed by the board uh, previously and approved by the board previously. Um, in, in essence, uh, the resolution increases the revenues across all funds um, by $798,999 and increases expenditures by uh, $1,745,000. $1, um, there is a net change in overall fund balance then of a decrease of uh, $303,000 uh, dollars over our, our original uh, budgetary plan. Um, again, all of these were anticipated when we adopted um, our 2013 budget moving forward, and this is just formalizing the previous approvals that the board's given on items. And I'd be happy to try and answer any questions from. Now, again, this is first reading, so if John can't answer any of those specific questions, we can park them and have staff come back. I'll make a motion. Okay. Oh, I'll make a motion. A motion to approve the resolution of the Board of County Commissioners um, providing supplemental appropriations for the 2012 budget, September through December. Second. Okay. Further discussion, Rachel? Yeah, um, and we can answer this at the next reading mm -hmm. as well, but do you know, does this really fully close out 2012 uh, supplementals or we might find a stray or two coming forward later? This should close out our 2012 uh, supplementals. I do believe we will still have some carry forwards to rebudget for 2013 still, so you, you should still expect to see those. Okay, thank you. George? Okay. Yeah. Yes, Steve? Um, I just want to comment that um, if there are any errors in this, it would fall on Jack's watch to that he made a mistake, <laughs> which I seriously doubt that Jack let anything slip through the cracks on this. So I feel, I feel good at uh, approving something that Jack has previously approved. You may want to watch yourself on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that only goes so far. Okay. Okay, any further discussion? <laughs> Seeing none, all in favor say aye. 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 Thank you. 
Okay, next is our consent public hearing. This is our second reading. This is an ordinance prohibiting the consumption of alcohol on unlicensed public premises for the duration of the 2013 X Games. And Tom Grady's here with the Sheriff's Department. If you have any questions, or John Ely. John, can you outline exactly what this is? <clears throat> this is a, um, an annual event, more or less, of the prohibition of alcoholic consumption uh, in public areas that are not otherwise licensed through the county for uh, consumption of alcoholic beverages during the pendency of the X Games. And the reason we do it every year is to give everybody a little bit of a reminder that this is the way the X Games are, are, are run. It's the way the uh, coordinators expect it to be, uh, to be run. It's the way the public has grown to expect uh, the X Games to be conducted. It's the way the law enforcement personnel monitor the X Games. Uh, so with this ordinance, there will be a prohibition of open consumption or the possession of uh, opened containers of alcoholic beverages during the X Games on all uh, public property within Pitkin County uh, that is not otherwise licensed. And particularly this pertains to uh, all property associated with RAFTA, um, all, uh, all highways, roads, and streets within the county, um, uh, assembling on, uh, in the bus stops and, and RAFTA platforms, as well as at the, uh, at the venue itself at Buttermilk Mountain. Thank you. Ron? I'm also just curious if there are any prohibitions that are year-round regarding um, consumption of alcohol. Open space and trails, is that, I mean, that's public to some extent, and, and uh, can you have an open container the rest of the year on trails? The rest of the, in the rest of the year, there is no countywide prohibition. Yeah. Uh, for open containers or consumption of alcohol, much uh, like there is in, say, the incorporated municipalities within Pickin County. As far as county-owned open space, I, you know, I, I don't know particularly. I'm, I don't recall of any management plan addressing alcoholic consumption, to be honest with you, but I certainly could be wrong on that. And then to follow up that question, and maybe for Grady, what are the laws against public intoxication? Is there... Are you violating a law if you're publicly intoxicated on private pro on public property throughout the rest of the year? Not legally, but only if you're a hazard to yourself or others. If you're out of control, it becomes a medical issue. A lot of variables go with public intoxication. Just curious about understanding the law. Yeah. <laughs> So the X Games are coming up uh, this weekend, so we encourage everyone to go out and enjoy them, ride around it, but alcohol is not going to be tolerated. Steve? Sheriff DeSalvo this morning at the leadership team meeting talked about how much nicer the atmosphere is since this ban on alcoholic consumption was put into effect. That it just goes so much more smoothly with the whole lot fewer problems for the Sheriff's Department since this we started doing this. Good. <clears throat> there are no more questions. I'd like to take a motion. I'll make a motion. Um, I have a long one here. 
an ordinance to the Board of County Commissioners, uh, Picking County, Colorado, prohibiting the consumption of alcohol on public premises for the duration of the X game, on unlicensed public premises for the duration of the 2013 X games. Second. Second. Did you get that, Lindy? (laughs) 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 Any further board discussion? Seeing none, all in favor say aye. Aye. Thank you. Next is a confirmatory reading and public hearing. This is, oh yeah, this is an emergency resolution approving the intergovernmental agreement for participation in the emergency fire fund with the Colorado Department of Public Safety, Division of Fire Prevention, and control. And again, Tom Grady's the lead on this. Tom, why don't you come, come on up and give us. Tom Grady, Pickens County Emergency Manager, representing Sheriff DeSalvo. Thank you. You want to explain what this entails? Oh, sure. Well, I'll, I'll just read the background on it. Board of County Commissioners approved this resolution as an emergency on January 9, 2013. It is before you at this time as a confirmatory reading and public hearing. The Emergency Fire Fund is a program which helps counties pay for financial obligations of private property wildfire suppression costs. The funds established by uh, Colorado Revised Statute 2433.5-1220 is funded by contributions by counties as well as supplemental additions by the governor should the fund be depleted. The fund is accessed when the sheriff delegates the management of a wildland fire to the state of division of fire prevention and control because the fire has or will exceed the capabilities of Picking County to manage it. Questions for Grady? Rachel? Yeah, I, I um, will just make the comment I made when we saw this the first time, and I can't remember if you were here or not. Yes. Okay. That we should just kind of keep an eye out on the budgetary impacts uh, of if there's going to be requests for counties to double or triple their contribution. That seems to be an ongoing dialogue. I was advised it came down this year. We went from 53 to 43,000. It was 53, I believe, in 2012, and this year it's 43,000. So it might be. That's surprising. <laughs> is that the captain, or there's more participating counties? I don't, I don't know the reason for it. Okay. Well, let's just keep an eye on it in future years. It may be that the state's budget has improved so much that they're not trying to look to counties for additional funds right now. Thank you. You're welcome. Any further questions or comments? Steve? Um, this past summer, there was a major wildfire near Last Chance, Colorado, and uh, I think it was entirely on private land. So, is that the is that the kind of fire that this ordinance would yes would help pay for the fighting that? Yeah, there's all kinds of funds that exist when across between state, federal, private, and unincorporated counties. So, there's all sorts of financial resources that exist, but this one primarily for the state to assist us in private land fires in unincorporated Picking County. Okay. We had two wildfires yesterday in the state of Colorado, which is very bizarre for January. Yeah, maybe noted. I heard on the radio this morning that right now we're at 80% of our snowpack. No, we're at 57% of our snowpack for the year which which uh, is only 80% of where we were last year at the time of the drought. So we're definitely going into a, a second year of drought here. Exactly. It's going to be a big concern for us. 
Yeah, even in the snowpack in the south there, because it's been so cold, has very little moisture content on top of that. Mm -hmm. 70 degrees in Denver today, high winds. That's predictions anyway. Just for a note, though, we anticipate starting our wildfire public outreach in March. Usually we go a little longer, but because of the drought and it takes so long to get it fired up that we're probably going to start very early this year. Very good. Public hearing. Thank you. Uh, this is a public hearing. Anybody wishing to comment on this item? Seeing none, I'll close the public hearing and bring it back to the board. I would make a motion to approve the emergency resolution approving the intergovernmental agreement for participation in the emergency fire fund with the Colorado Department of Public Safety, Division of Fire Prevention and Control. Second. Second. I'll have the second first. <laughs> Any further board discussion? Seeing that, all in favor say aye. 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 Thank you. Thanks, Grady. Thank you. Let's see. Next, we have our land use consent public hearings. Uh, the first is the PT Ranch Barn LLC slash 1892 Castle Creek LLC slash PT Ranch House LLC activity envelope and site plan review for river restoration. This is to be continued to, to February 27th. Uh, I'll make a motion to continue to February 22nd, uh, 27th. Second. Second. This is a public hearing. Anybody wish to comment on this at this time? See none. We'll close the public hearing and then bring it back to the board. Any further discussions? All in favor, say aye. 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 The next for the land use consent public hearing is the Nagawa, Nakagawa annual review. And that again is to be continued to 2000 to 2000 to February 13. Uh, I'll make a motion to continue to February 13. Okay, that's right. Again, this is a public hearing. Anybody wish to comment on this? Seeing none, I'll close the public hearing. Any further board discussion? Uh, seeing none, all in favor say aye. Aye. Thank you. Okay, next is our land use public hearing with the Barter Parcel <laughs> Subdivision. We're way ahead of schedule. I just sent Mitch a text. They knew to come about 12.15, so hopefully Mitch and Scott will walk in the door. I do need to set up for a second, so, um, so that will kill a minute. <laughs> okay, Crossroads, okay. let's just take a five minute break while we're setting up. Are these broken? <clears throat> They're not broken. Meadows major plat amendment and activity envelope slash site plan review for common parcel two. This is our second reading, and Suzanne Wolf will be presenting. Okay. Um, I figured since Steve missed first reading and he also missed the, the prior rounds of conceptual submission, I'd give a brief summary of what's gone before and just orient you. Um, so, Suzanne, just to let you know, I'm pretty familiar with the Florida parcel. Okay, great. I'll just then I'll just I I'll actually pick potatoes on there on our You're familiar with it on the ground. <laughs> okay. So you know the location. So yeah. just to orient it, the Barda parcel in the midst of the surroundings, here's the remaining ten acres of the Barda parcel. The properties around this is now the Roy Fork Meadows subdivision, five um, lots for single-family residences and two common parcels, one here at the entry and then one down here by the river. There was also a small piece that was conveyed to the county 
um, as sort of a trailhead area next to the pedestrian bridge that's right there across the highway. So the, um, this is detailed submission and final plat. Um, the general idea here was that the barber parcel would be subdivided into two lots. Those two lots would become lots six and seven of the Roy Fork Meadows subdivision. So basically this piece that I guess was once an entire, an intact piece would, would become all part of the same subdivision now and be subject to the same um, rules and regulations. So there would be now seven lots within the subdivision and the two common parcels. So that's the very short version of, of the background um, and prior approvals. Happy to provide more if, if it would be helpful. Um, at first reading, there were just a couple of issues, I think, for issues to further discuss. Um, one being the vested rights. The applicant had requested a 10-year vested right. And through um, your discussion at the last meeting, um, the board agreed to grant a five-year vested right to all of the lots in the amended subdivision PUD, including lots six and seven, which would run from the date of these, this approval. So assuming approval is granted today, the five years would run from this date, and all of those lots would be subject to site plan review. Again, a little bit of background on that discussion last time. Currently, the remaining lots, only one lot has been developed. The remaining lots are not subject to site plan review under their current vested right until, sorry, was it 2015, October of 2015. The applicant had hoped to obtain a longer vested right for all of these together. And that's the board has, again, through discussion, agreed that that would be five years, but all of the lots would be subject to site plan starting today or the date of the approval. Um, so that's what was incorporated, what I've incorporated into the, the language of the resolution. Excuse me, at the resolution. Um, the other item, well, just that in terms of changes in the resolution, the prohibition of commercial agricultural activities we discussed briefly last time. Um, John Ely did recommend there had been language in the prior approvals to that effect. Um, the question was, should they be subject to our new requirement of recordation of a covenant? Um, John said that that would be the more appropriate way to go, so that has been included in the conditions. So the covenant would apply then to all seven lots um, under the subdivision rather than differentiating between the old lots and the new lots. And the last um, item was looking for a little more detail on the site plan for common parcel two down here. Um, and actually I'm going to switch to, I could have put this on here too, but... Um, let me see if I can zoom in a little bit on that. So if you, I'll, 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 I'll go out a little bit. If you recall, um, this was the original envelope for the recreational facility on Common Parcel 2. Um, through the discussion at conceptual submission, you all agreed that the applicant could explore an alternative site um, that would be less visible from the Rio Grande, tra or the Rio Grande Trail which is running right here, um, as well as um, to the neighbors um, and provide a better location for the applicant for that facility. I'm sorry, can you orient me on this map? Yeah. I, I, it, where's the river? Um, the river is down <coughs> below here. Okay. Let me, um, okay. Actually, let me put, I'll put the bigger version on and then we'll go to the, the detail. Thank um, you. Okay. So the river's down here. So essentially this bench, so the trail is up above here. Mm -hmm. This was that bench right next to the trail. And then we walked down this road down um, to this lower area down by the river. 
so this little bench in here is the area where they're now proposing the envelope and the location of the recreational facility. Does that help? Okay, so then we'll, we can go in a little bit closer on this one. Um, and just to, th there's been a slight, as they looked at the actual grading and, and um, improvements to the road coming down there, they actually <coughs> tweaked the siting of the cabin slightly to work better with the grades um, and to create less site disturbance essentially when they put this cabin in there. So the existing road comes right up to it. And if you saw in that last map, there's, you know, there's basically a, a you know, a, a, an un um, not unimproved, but a limited two-track kind of a road that loops around um, through that lower part of the property. This is accessed directly off of that. You can see they put in a couple of parking spaces and some limited landscaping around that. But essentially this location is really not visible from the um, trail. There's quite a drop as you come down. You can see the topography um, above it. Um, it's down below there, so you wouldn't see it from the trail. Um, really the only place you might see it from is if you were in the river, um, if you were looking for it, I guess. Um, so anyway, we had just asked for a little bit more detail on the grading and any landscaping associated with this. So I think that satisfies our request. Um, the applicant is anticipating in this other envelope, they've left it as essentially a landscaping envelope. And this area um, through here around it is where basically the edge of that slope there's some areas where it could use some improvement, and I think essentially they, you know, they haven't looked in detail at what they want to do there, but it would only be landscaping, and we would look further at that when they came in for, for any that development. So, um, so anyway, I think at this point, the site plan satisfies our request um, for some additional information. And I think that's it. We're recommending approval subject to the conditions as revised. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Questions, Rachel? You know, Susan, I just don't recall discussion of parking places next to the recreational cabin. I had gotten the impression it was a very close to the homes and it'd be a walk to and enjoy it. And you said they've added a couple of parking spaces. I just don't recall that being part of our discussion. I don't think we've discussed parking at all in the past. I mean, it is there is a road to it. Um, yeah, I remember the dirt. So, yeah, I mean, so it, it, it is and will remain a road. Um, you know, that was not part of, it was not something that was prohibited when we discussed all of the specific limitations on the cabin. So I guess that's something you could you could discuss um, if that's appropriate. Yeah, I mean, I, I can certainly see, you know, drop off and pick up and, you know, for heavier materials and things like that. But, you know, we were trying to make the cabin as unobtrusive as possible, but, you know, I can imagine some very big cars down there, and then you start saying, well, what are these cars doing so close to the river? You know, and, and almost them being more visible than the uh, cabin itself, which has been well designed and I think is very discreet. So, you know, I would just throw that out to the rest of the board members is that, you know, as we thought about moving it to a less visible location and less impactive on the neighbors, um, I, I, I was hopeful we wouldn't have a greater impact on the, um, you, you know, the, the river corridor itself and the aesthetics down there. Yeah, I mean, I guess my only thought is that it might, be, I mean, to, to having parking spaces, it may be more appropriate to have, I mean, again, I don't think they're looking at highly developed, but to have a parking area there so if people do drive, they know where to park as opposed to 
right now, I mean, that road does loop through. There's nothing that prohibits them from using that road with any vehicle at this point in time. So, you know, maybe that is a part of, if we designate parking spaces, that, you know, maybe that needs to be incorporated, is that we're, if vehicles are going to come down here, this is where they go. At least it is on a bench that is farther away from the river um, and try and discourage people from, you know, driving down onto the bench, which is right next to the river. Yeah. Um, because the road does continue on through there. And I, I know there's a lot of detail about screening, uh, again, related to the uh, recreational cabin, but I didn't see any references to screening of the parking area. And, you know, perhaps that's appropriate, you know, to designate and screen those areas. Yeah, I mean, the parking, sorry, let me bring this back over here. The parking areas are directly adjacent to the cabin. And all of this is, the, you know, there are big cottonwood trees through there. I mean, obviously that's, you know, a seasonal impact in terms of screening. Um, I mean, could there be, I guess, maybe some additional landscaping on, you can see a couple, a little bit of landscaping here. Um, actually, the road, you know, could, I think the road, I mean, maybe these guys can help in terms of the road. Is there any area on the other side of the road to... We, we probably could. There is, as Suzanne said, cottonwoods, very mature. Well, we did the site visit, so... Yeah, yeah. so it is well screened naturally, but there is some room. We won't have water down there as far as irrigation goes, but we could certainly, if you request screening, we could add it. I mean, I will say from living just upriver from here for since 1987, one thing that I didn't like was the loop, the only place to park if you wanted to fly fish was really down by the river, right in that road. This, as Suzanne said, it should actually keep cars away from the river. So I think the parking spaces, personally, are logical and a bonus because they will encourage people to not drive right down to the river. Okay. But I'm happy to discuss adding some screening. And for the record, you are? Scott Russell, sorry, owner's representative. If it's okay to continue. Um, how many parking places are you talking about? Just two. Two. And, you know, the, the road is not suited for all sorts of vehicles. I mean, we're talking ATVs. We're talking they have a Ranger, which is just a six-wheel kind of, you know, not even a car. Maybe Jeeps. That's what we're thinking. And that's, you know, a rainy day. I mean, some people might walk down there. Yeah. Oh, encourage it. Uh, would, would you support the prohibition of, of parking along the road, along the river bottom? I mean, you know, I, I just am concerned someone's going to say, okay, we're having the 60th birthday anniversary or whatever, and you, you'll use the cabin. It's outdoor picnic. It'll be a wonderful location, but you'll end up with, you know, X many 20 cars all along the lower river loop parking there. I mean, it's just, and I don't think that was our intention in, in bringing the cabin down there was to start bringing vehicular traffic down by the river. Um, I, I don't know how to respond to that because without the cabin, cars can go down there. Right. Okay. So but the but would they go down there for a party if there's no cabin there? Yeah, well, they do. They do. Then that's how you fish. You yeah. just don't have the shelter, the protection that's away from the river. Um, I mean, if you recall over the years, I mean, there was a teepee down there. Mm. can't say it was legal, but it wasn't ours. Um, there's a fire pit. So there is reason to go down there even without a cabin, okay. without a doubt, because that is the access to the river for the HOA. So Rachel poses this question, I guess, 
open up to other board members for comments on Rachel's concerns or comments. Uh, just to clarify, is the is the cabin for use of the the owners of the homes on the property and for their guests? Yes. It it's, wouldn't be a public facility. No, there is a public trail access uh, that's a little downstream off of the bike path to get down to the river through the property. <laughs> this though would be probably I can't speak for the owner, but probably owned by the association and for use by the homeowners and their guests. Okay. And it's uh, it's not a, you can't spend the night down there. There's not a full kitchen. Uh, there's a green restroom. There's no septic, there's no sewer. And so it's meant to be more of a shelter and a place to store fly fishing equipment. Okay. Other thoughts or comments? The public access is upstream, isn't it? Or upstream, it's right. Up, yeah. yeah, it's not downstream. Sorry, it's upstream. I'm sorry. Just making sure it's on the... the Upstream side of the property, yes. which is access off of uh, the, the trail. Yes. Um, I actually think the parking spaces, if designed properly, would add to hiding the cars. Then, then you know, having a designated spot as opposed to cars pulling off into the the road, off the road to get out of the way in all sorts of random places. I mean, you do more damage to the terrain and that sort of stuff that way. Well, I have kind of one more follow-up question for Susan, uh, Suzanne, if I may. Uh, the riparian protection codes that we have would prevent um, manipulation of the vegetation with, with uh, you know, this cannot be manicured and made into a lawn type of area, things like that, just native vegetation riparian zones? That is correct. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, do we have any prohibition in here, or, or, or do we need it to say that uh, this shall not be available for quote public events such as fundraisers? That it can't be a you know dinner by the river, raise money. I mean, certainly a private party, private birthday party, the separate, but not something in which tickets are sold to or it's a public event. We do not have any language to that effect in there okay. at this point. You know, it seems like that would be appropriate to me to at least try to limit it from, you know, we've, we've had the experience, I think, with other barns and other parts of the county, which kind of very regularly became wedding reception zones or things like that. And um, I think we should make sure we're covering our bases there. Rob? And a, a question regarding that. So <coughs> they would have to go through a special event permitting process and what how, how could we protect ourselves potentially through that process as opposed to through this PUD? I mean, the process basically addresses, you know, what are the impacts? Where are you going to park people? How are you going to use this? Um, not so much, you know, it's more about making it work as opposed to, you know, are you allowing you to do it or not. I mean, obviously, if the impacts, they said we're going to park people all over the lower bench by the river, we, we would deny the request. But short of that, somehow using the facility and parking people elsewhere on the ranch, I mean, we would consider it as we would any other event. So I think if you wanted to say, we don't even want to, you know, and, you know, we don't want to hear these requests. We don't want you to be submitting special, you know, event applications, that would be... And, and if I could no. clarify, you know, if, if someone who's an owner in the property 
wanted to let their cousin have their wedding reception there and it's for free, that's one thing. That, but uh, I don't want it to become, again, a for a lease type of venue that is a paid to use right. public, you know, so the special event permit would still apply if they're having a gathering of 150, that is, you know, one of the owner's sons. It yeah, and they could do that as a private it's event, a private but, event, it, but it doesn't if it's starting to be marketed, you know, and again, not that it's your intent, Scott, right, we just right. have to make a code for 20 years from now that it's not intended to be a rental facility. Well, going back to Rob's comment, I mean, would the association documents be a more appropriate place to restrict use down there than the PUD itself? I mean, I don't think we have a problem with yeah. what you're requesting because there is no intent to yeah. 24 by 24 cabinet yeah. without yeah. a kitchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Certainly not commercial. The association documents, we, we're we not involved in those documents, are we? No, and they can be changed by the association. By the association so with the exception uh, of the relation of the association documents to an aspect of the county approval. Right. In other words, association documents more most of the time will incorporate the conditions of the development approval such that activities by one subsequent owner of the subdivided parcel won't affect the approval and therefore impact somebody else within the, the subdivision. Uh, and then those specifically can't be amended without acquiescence to the, of the county simply because it relates to the development approval that was granted. But it seems like it would be simpler, cleaner just to have it right in the PUD approvals. The subdivision documents, you know, survive. The PUD development guide survives. Uh, it, it can be reflected one way or the other. It's just, it's actually clear to have it on multiple documents, whatever the document structure is for the development, which is typically left to the to the developer <coughs> to construct their own development guide or association covenants or however they want to set up their development. I think the um, the pet control. There's some other items, fencing, that you have, you know, that we put in the land use approvals that do trickle into the association documents. So this wouldn't be the only item <coughs> that does it. I mean, I don't think it's an issue for us to have the type of restriction you were dis discussing. It's like I said, it's it's the 24 by 24 yeah. cabin. You know, it's, it's the size of a two car garage. <laughs> it's just for clarity for future boards and there's only two parking spaces uh, but yeah is it commercial events I would say it's not an issue so what I'm hearing is um, we could put it in, in multiple documents um, designating uh, two parking spaces only uh, restricting the use of the cabin for owners yes but not for lease or for fundraising commercial purposes. Rob? Yeah, I would just, given our conversation, which is going to happen later today, that make sure that everybody's aware of what commercial event means. A photographer using it to sell the property, taking a picture down there, is a commercial event if they have two cars. So just be clear as to what a commercial event is in terms of the land use code that's in our meeting later today yeah. and what we're defining as a commercial event. Well, you know, so. perhaps more along the lines of like it shall not be available for rent or for lease for 
fundraisers, gatherings, or other events. You know, just and, and not even have to use the word commercial event. But it's just not available for lease, or uh, you know, for to profit. Um. Isn't there some language in the master plan for music festival on Castle Creek that they may already created? Any other questions for Suzanne at this point? Uh, we'll turn it over to the applicants. I think we're pretty easy. Um, Introduce yourself for the record. So, yeah, for the record, I'm Mitch Haas, Haas Land Planning, and Scott Russell is the owner's representative. Um, I think, you know, we've read through everything. We, we don't have any issues with the recommended conditions. Uh, we are, after conferring with our client, the owner of the property, we're okay with the five-year vested and, and agreeing to site plan review on all of the lots. And I think, as we've just discussed, also on the common parcels, because uh, we still have that landscaping at the top that we don't know what we would do with. Um, I, I think we're fine even saying we would do a better job of landscaping and screening this two-car parking area. Uh, this was frankly a sort of first initial blush at a side of landscaping plan uh, and was prepared by engineers, not landscape architects <laughs> at this point. Uh, so uh, you, we'd, we'd be happy to enhance the landscaping and screening. It's, it's not a problem. So I don't, unless I'm missing something, we're, no, if there's any questions, we can answer them. But I don't have anything to present. Right. We, we're trying to come about this, uh, you know, do this the right way and, and not, not fight about anything. Any questions for the applicants? Seeing none, this is a public hearing. Anybody wishing to comment on this item? Seeing none, we'll close the public hearing and bring it back to the board. Make a motion. To approve the resolution of the Board of County Commissioners, Pekin County, Colorado, granting approval of the Barter Parcel Subdivision PUD Detailed Submission and Final Plat Subdivision Exemption for a uh, major plat amendment to the Roaring Fork Meadows Subdivision PUD Activity Envelope Site Plan Review for uh, Common Parcel 2 and Vested Rights with the uh, added language somewhere that we discussed about uh, um, not, for lease. not for lease for certain events. Second. And we also have it, unless it's in there, maybe I missed it, the designated two parking places. Is that, is that already in the resolution? <coughs> or it's not specified, but basically this is the, the most recent version of the site plan, so that would be incorporated. I guess if I think maybe there was some, did you want to include a limitation to only two parking spaces or or just that that's what's shown on the site plan? So if well, that's what I was gathering from your comments that you know limited to two to cars for uh, okay. yeah. Okay. All right. and, and yeah, I'm, I'm and to limit to two um, parking. parking spaces to be designed in a way that they're sheltered in some fashion. Um, Did you mean the or screen screened, or screened, screened. Um, and I will note that in, in the resolution number 11, there is not a date written in. So I'm assuming that we're writing in a five-year vested period. The, um, right, the 2018 reflects five years, and then right, we'll write in today's. Today's date. Yeah. Can I ask a clarifying question? So there's two parking spaces at the shelter. Is there a prohibition against parking on the road? So it's an. It's, 
I don't know. Uh, I wasn't sure that about. we could if it's an existing road. I, you know, I was concerned about that, Michael. But thank you for bringing that back up. The road's only about ten feet wide. If a car parks in it, then you can't use the road. You probably have some um, um, public safety uh, restrictions on that, wouldn't you? Probably road. Right. I mean, it's barely even a road, so much as a. It seems like the intent of yeah. this conversation is to limit the car and the traffic going up and down. And so for me, that would mean designating two parking places and not allowing any uh, parking along the road. And that, that, that's why we've talked about parking places, that they offer a place to get off the road. So are we adding to the parking or are we subtracting from the parking? I mean, no. There's room for two cars down there safely. That's the way it should be, it seems to me. I just see this. Sorry. You were first. I, I just see this as a private amenity to seven home sites. I don't see this being like a public beach where 30 cars are going to go down there. I know we want to protect ourselves against that to some level, but it's a small cabin. Already they have the right to drive cars down there. It's away from the river. There is vegetation. I just don't see the need to over, to have something else. Well, but but um, it's not so much for the public use, but there is potential with, with the homeowners there, the seven lots with guests, with um, that you could basically um, discount why even bother having designated two parking areas then? You're, just, you're discounting that. So you either, you either want to limit the cars down there in any way we can, but allow uh, the ability to bring supplies <coughs> down or if someone's uh, disabled, or you don't want to, and it's it's, public, it's a private road, and they can do whatever they want. It, it, it doesn't seem like you have it both ways. Steve? I don't. I think that would be over-regulating the issue to say they can't park cars along the road because it is private road on private land and um, they've already said mostly it's four-wheelers and a ranger ATV that go down there anyhow and um, I think having them add the two parking places makes it easier you know, a more designated parking place if, if somebody is down there with a car, but if there are a few more cars down there at some time, I don't have a problem with that. There is, um, I mean, there is a potential impact to the neighbor. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons we suggested moving this cabin down uh, to this spot where it was originally up right adjacent to the neighbor was to lessen the impact to the neighbors who really had objected this, to this whole process. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if you have the ability and potential to have cars going up and down that road, that, that's an impact to an adjoining neighbor. I mean, I'll just throw that out as, as at least a reason why I think we should uh, <coughs> going up and down. And, you know, and again, just as we work through this process, it's sort of a give and take, and we're just trying to uh, have the, the best possible uh, end result of this, not only for this, uh, for the applicants, but for the for the neighbors as well. 
Well, if, if I may say, I mean, <clears throat> I think some of this, the association, well, and I know the current owner, and I anticipate all the owners in the subdivision will want to enjoy that parcel. So I don't see cars being left down there uh, for an extended period of time. I, I would imagine the association is going to restrict a lot of what goes on down there because if I lived there, I wouldn't want to go down there to fish and see cars. So I do think some of this, as you mentioned, will control itself. As far as the neighbors, there were going to be cars up there next to the fishing cabin right at their property line. I don't know that the impact, because it's down here and we don't have a parking regulation beyond limiting to two spaces, is going to impact the neighbor. I don't see that personally. I think the association will want to control any excessive traffic. It is not meant to be used for cars. It's meant to be enjoyed as a quiet place to go down and fish and relax and read a book and do whatever. So that that's just me personally saying I think the association will control what you're trying to control through the language. No, I understand and I appreciate that, but who knows how the association and the owners come and go and different values, uh, what they bring with them, and we have no control over that. Quickly, I just think it's uh, the instances that you might have more than two cars down there and people parking would be so sporadic and infrequent as to not really worth, be worthy of much attention because, uh, for instance, the street I live in, there's no parking signs up and down it. When the neighbor across the street throws a party once or twice a year, people park all over the street, but it's once or twice a year, and then the cars are gone, and that's that's it. You just you live with it. The police don't even bother with it. Um, you know, it's 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 reminds me of the kind of thing like uh, way back when I worked in Fort Collins, and <coughs> they'd say on the days of football games we have so much traffic, and everybody's response in the city was always, "We're not going to regulate the eight days a year when we have football games." It's just you deal with it on those days. So, uh, to me, it's it's almost like a non-issue. It'll be so <coughs> random and and inconsistent, uh, and no one's going to leave their cars there for extended periods of time. Somebody parks a car for a few hours and then they leave. I mean, thank you. Well, Rachel raised the issue with the cars, yeah. and Michael sort of threw in this other uh, yes. caveat. So, let me just ask you guys. Because I, I remember going down to look at the riparian zone flagging. Does the road impinge in the uh, riparian zone at some point? The road does not. It has culverts, and that's where it crosses. And so the flagging that was done was post-culvert installation, and so that's not riparian. It's on either side of the road. It's the high water line, but, right, but within it, 100 it, it feet is of lifted it, up. Sure. Yeah. But on either side, I mean, that, that starts to be a bit of the issue. It's just, you know, you'd like to think everyone's car is well-maintained and don't leak oil or radiator fluid or anything like that. Um, some Sometimes people are using those older vehicles to, for that four-wheel driving. And so so it's really, to me, more about the protection of the um, river health and the riparian <coughs> zone you know, as much as the aesthetics of the river and, and the, the wildlife in the riparian zone. Um, I, 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 I'm struggling for language, I guess, is, is what I would say. I don't know if it, it needs to be an outright prohibition or it could be it is not the intent that extended parking or, uh, you know, uh, 
and, and then, then people go, well, what's extended mean or overnight? Or, you know, I, I would see it as a drop-off type of thing, and you know, or for maintenance and uh, you know of the property. But again, just the that creating the the cabin then creates the ability to say, okay, let's have the you know rotary fish for young kids day, and you have ten cars stacked up across there, and and does that start to really go counter to all the riparian protections we've been trying to put in place. So I, I'm struggling for any language that might um, um, be sufficient and, and without being over-regulatory. May I suggest some light language to say that the um, Homeowners Association agrees to try to regulate that no more than five cars at any one time will be down there? Starts to get really loud. Then I mean that. that <laughs> I mean, well, I'm throwing it out there as an idea that right. you know. I mean, second thing I'm going to say is, you know, is the sheriff going to go check to see if cars are good down there once a month to see what's going on? Or no, but the zoning enforcement officer might get calls from neighbors to say, yeah. you know, there have been repeated number of cars down in the riparian zone. Is that what you guys intended? And you know, depending on when people go fishing. People who leave their cars idling for long periods of time, you know, stereos, you know, all sorts of things. It, it, it just can be detrimental to the wildlife and, and, and the river. We're intentional on only putting two parking spaces in and not, not a strip of five or six or seven, you know. So. Michael, you brought up that question. Well, I, I think the intent of two parking spaces speaks for itself. The two cars should be down there. They are, those are areas for cars. Any more than two cars? Go home yeah. and walk back. Perhaps, it, it, with language like, it is not the intent that the road shall be used for parking, you know, uh, on a continuing basis or something like that. And then it, it may be left to future interpretation, but I think that if someone leaves a car there every day for six hours, it would start to be a continuing basis. And if it's occasional, it would not be occasional. I mean, it would. I'm okay with that language. How about if uh, it's not the intent uh, for cars to park along the road, uh, given the fact that there are designated two parking places to accommodate any needs? I'm okay with that language. Yeah. We're there. Okay. So you started this motion, but we never had a second. So you I did second. Oh, second. second. So I do a friendly amend amendment. The motion. I will yeah. amend the motion to reflect that language. I will accept that. You got that, Suzanne? I think so. <laughs> okay. Then this is a public hearing. Anybody wish to comment on this? Seeing none, I'll close the public hearing. Bring it back to the board. Any further questions, discussions? We've got a motion. We've got a second. I'd just like to thank the applicants for working with us. Appreciate the time you've put into this. Thank you. That was a process. <laughs> so, given that, I'll call the question. All in favor, say aye. 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 Okay, thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Make sure want your books back. I don't think they left any nasty notes. <laughs> 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 I always get a double check that. Exclamation point. Just make sure you put it in the attic in one of those houses <laughs> and you'll find it 100 years from now. <laughs> 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 Historic dog. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
paper. Okay, we're going to continue our meeting here. Next on the agenda is land use action item. The first agenda item under that is the John C. Bishop Family Trust Amendment to a Development Permit. Lance Clark is getting ready for us here, and he'll be the staff lease on. Oh, you know, I want to make one note on this last part. So you'll have to before, before we get going, can, Lance, as long as you're here, can we pass on this information to the PNZ because they had some concerns or questions in terms of the vesting, right? And it'd be good for them to, again, know what they end up doing. Yeah, let them understand well, how and why we made these decisions. So. Hopefully, that will help in future decisions as, as well. A, as a general rule, at the start of every PMZ meeting, uh, the first thing I do is tell the PMZ what board action was taken on any items that they made a recommendation on. And of course, they're very, very interested. In and then that. explain why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Are you going to stand back here behind me? If I could for a second. Is that all right? No, just, fine. Just okay. to. Kick this off, if, if I may. Uh, this is the Bishop Family Trust Minor Amendment to Development Commit. And this is uh, sitting there is John Bishop and, uh, of course, Alan Richmond. And uh, John Richmond from, uh, I mean, John Bishop from Sandy, Utah. Some of you are familiar with this property because this has been a 20-year process, actually, of where we are today. The first application made on this property was a growth management application in 1993 and we're now 2013 and uh, I believe Rachel and Michael and maybe George have seen some of this before but let me tell you what this property is this Aspen down here Castle Creek Road going up valley this is the music associates of Aspen property this is the music school and the Bishop property, uh, known as Bonanza Placer 5, was a, originally a 38-acre parcel, which was created through the state 35-acre subdivision exemption. So it was determined to be a legal 35-acre-plus lot, but back in 1993 it was determined that it did not have a development right because of the time of its creation. So in 1993 an application was made through our growth management quota system process to try to obtain a development right and at that time the access to this only on um, this whole 38 acre property the only really buildable flat non-hazardous site is clear up at, at this end and the only access available at the time was an easement through the music school and wandering all across this very dangerous hillside that was impacted by avalanche potential. So the in 1993, that first growth management application, it did not be threshold. The applicant came back in 1998 after we had established the ability to create development rights in the rural area with TDRs and asked for uh, special reviews for use of a TDR to create a development right. Board of County Commissioners denied that. Uh, 
for essentially the same reason, this access. There was another potential access, always has been, through the Hall property, Marshall Hall and his family who live right here, but the applicant was never able to secure an easement through that Hall property and only had the ability to go through the music school, which was very problematic. So after the second denial in 1998, the applicant uh, initiated legal action against the county that uh, we were denying the ability to have development. And the result of that legal action, and if you have any specific questions, all I remember is doing a deposition. But uh, the specifics, John Ely can bring you up to date on that. But as a result of that, the direction to the applicant was to submit a new growth management quota system application, which they did in 2002. And at that point, things were working, starting to work with Hall in terms of getting an easement, but it still wasn't secured. So in 1992, again, the growth management quota system application did not meet threshold, and therefore it, it was denied. And the applicant came to the Board of County Commissioners saying that that denial constituted a taking at that point, having tried three times to, to get the development right. And the Board of County Commissioners in 2003 did find that to deny development on the property would be a, a taking. And in 2003, a taking remediation resolution was crafted by myself and the Attorney's Office and the Board of County Commissioners that would allow development. And at that time, it had two different criteria, whether based on whether or not this long access through the music school was to be utilized or whether an access through hall could be utilized. And there were two different sets of conditions. The upshot of that is that since that time, access through the hall property has been secured. There is an easement and the driveway has actually been constructed to the proposed building envelope. And furthermore, this, which was originally part of the 38-acre Bonanza Placer parcel, has been transferred to the Music Associates of Aspen. So the remainder Bishop parcel is 22 acres. The Music Association of Aspen was very desirous of obtaining this both to ensure that there would never be access through their property, but in addition, because it includes Kino Gulch and the music school needed to have that in their ownership in order to do the required mitigation in Kino Gulch that we have required prior to the redevelopment of the music school. So that resolution of, a, of approval of takings was done in 2003, and since it was a takings and not a specific land development approval. It was determined that it did not benefit from statutory vested rights. So the condition of approval in 2003 said, didn't say this approval has vested rights for three years as a normal approval would. It said that the conditions in this approval can be relied upon for three years. And Mr. Bishop went away, worked with the music school on transferring the property, uh, worked with the halls to get an easement, 
got the driveway built, but still has not uh, been able to develop the property. And so came back to the Board of County Commissioners in 2008 and asked for an extension on that 2003 resolution that would say the conditions of approval are good for, can be relied upon for three more years. And that was till 2011. <coughs> now we come to 2013. Property still has not uh, been able to be developed. And the applicant is here asking that, once again, Board of County Commissioners consider an extension to that original resolution to say that those conditions can be relied upon for three more years. Also, this time, in addition to asking for a three-year continuation of those conditions, they're asking for a very slight modification to the building envelope. When that building envelope was originally set, the topographic information was done from aerial photography, not on-site. And now that they're closer to development and have the driveway in place, uh, they did actual on-site topographic survey work and have found a slightly more area that is on slopes of less than 30%, and they're asking that that be included in the building envelope. And uh, we have no objection to that. It's still a relatively small building envelope, just a little bit over a, a half an acre, because the, the bench up there is, is relatively small. Uh, in 2008, when the uh, extension was given, we added some specific conditions to make certain that we would not end up with something that uh, would not be acceptable. Specifically, <coughs> we set a limit on the house size. The original 2003 approval said that they could build 5750 with the use of one TDR, not automatically. They had to surrender a TDR to build 5750, and that if the hall access were secured, they could come in through growth management or through special review for TDRs to increase that house size. In 2008, that was limited to a maximum of 8,250 square feet, meaning that there would be the ability to build 5,750 with one TDR or to build 8,250 with two TDRs. So the limit was set on the house size. And also in 2008, the condition was added regarding impact fees, which we've added, and that the most important thing, development on the home site must meet all applicable terms and provisions of the land use code regarding site plan and scenic review and the effect at the time of building permit submittal. So essentially, though we said the conditions of approval can be relied on for three years, any development's going to be subject to anything that's in the land use code when they come in for the building permit. And they are willing to live with that again and are asking that we essentially approve that 2008 approval, which approved the 2003 approval, for another three years uh, from today. What that means is anything that happens in the code 
in our Chapter 7 standards regarding constraints or scenic or site plan they'd be subject to. I think what that means that would be relied upon would be the 5750 and the 8250 with one additional. <coughs> uh, uh, staff does recommend approval of the request. Uh, if you have any questions for me or the applicant, we can do that. Let me start uh, just to help clarify, because I, I don't I didn't know all the history of it, or at least I forgot all the history. So this is no longer considered a takings at this point. It's it's a, it's working under a taking remediation. It still is working under that taking. Yes. Okay. And then in your memo, you say that the proposed amendment would add approximately uh, 2,851 square feet to the envelope. So that that additional square footage would is included within the the, um, the total build out of 8250 if they desire. That's just the um, that's just the. Oh, envelope. that's just the building envelope. envelope. Land area. Land area that they can build on. They're asking to increase that okay. to by 2,000 feet. Oh, I got it. Okay, great, thanks. Other questions? Rachel? Uh, really more of a comment than a question, but on the resolution, I think that it would be valuable to add an item number six and just reiterate those um, square footages and TDR requirements, as you mentioned, Lance. That way someone doesn't have to keep flipping back through so many resolutions and would be aware uh, of the second TDR requirement. Can I make a comment? Uh, not yet. Oh, right. uh, other questions for Lance? Uh, seeing none, we'll turn it over to the applicant. Can you want to introduce yourself, please? Sure. Uh, for the record, I'm Alan Richmond. I'm here representing John Bishop. This is John Bishop. He's a owner. <coughs> He's been working with the county on this for, for many years. Um, we've read the staff report and uh, listened to, to Lance's presentation. We're very comfortable with the staff's approach to this. We really don't have any requests to amend the conditions that, that the staff has proposed. Um, I was going to take you through some of the history, but Lance has done a more thorough job with that history than I have. I've really just come on to this project um, in the last year. Uh, Lance has been living with it for many, many years. Uh, but I think this request is, is rather simple. It's an effort on John's part to hopefully live within the approval that was granted a number of years ago. We're not asking to change any of the conditions of, of that approval. Um, as Lance mentioned, the last thing that really happened on this, this property uh, back around the time of the last approval was that the driveway was constructed through the Hall property, which really eliminated many, many of the issues that this property was <coughs> facing. And, and that that occurred and the um, extension occurred in 2008. And we all kind of know what happened between 2008 and 2011 when this three-year um, period of reliance was in effect. Our real estate market was kind of in the tank. Um, John now has a contract purchaser on the property. Um, and is, is trying to be able to, to deliver this property to that purchaser with the conditions that you all worked out uh, many years ago. So this is not an effort on our part to, to really change any of those negotiations. We're very comfortable uh, with all of that. The only change that we're really requesting here is the minor amendment to the square footage of the building envelope. Uh, I think you all have the packet that we submitted, and the very last page of the packet has the building envelope exhibit. And it shows the minor areas 
that we're talking about adding to and subtracting from the envelope. We're actually subtracting some area because uh, we found a portion of the envelope when we actually had the, the on-site topography. A portion of it was below the top of the bank, and, and that was not the way the conditions were written. The conditions basically require the envelope to go from the top of the bank on Captain <coughs> Creek on one side to the very base of the hillside um, of the mountain on the other side. And the, the red line on that drawing now is, is drawn specifically to those conditions. So we're not really introducing any new elements here. We're just trying to uh, comply with what everybody thought we were doing in terms of the envelope before. Um, I think staff recommendations are appropriate, and we would hope you would support them. John, do you have any clarifications <coughs> you'd like to add? The only thing I wanted to add is that the the increase in the envelope size goes back towards the uh, the upper bluff, and uh, it's just a it's a minor increase, but it's important because we've we have agreements that we of course we dealt with the halls for years and they're, they're, they're great people and as are the, my neighbors down below Jimmy Smith and Judy Hyde have been wonderful neighbors um, they uh, we have an agreement with them that really actually helps site review in the future that we will not use that 30 feet close to the edge of the hill so if you go up to the property and take a look at it uh, you'll see that, that, that it's been staked back. There's a 30-foot setback, not only for wildfire, which you all have recommended, and which that, that so we can't build up to that 30-foot mark. But we have an agreement with the neighbors that also uh, we we hold, you know, sacred. So that property became real thin as we looked at it. We cut back 30 feet. We needed an extra 10 or 15 towards the hill to make it work to put a house on. So that's why we're asking for the extra feet so that we can really you know the house will sit back in uh, a bit and uh, that's it's important to just recognize the reason why we're trying to add just so such a small amount of square footage it becomes important in the future just to build a house so so in other words there are private companies that actually restrict beyond your restrictions that make this an extremely tight envelope to work with <coughs> Rachel so I, this is kind of for you, Alan, and also maybe Lance, kind of mixed in between. Uh, because we have in this um, depiction a uh, building envelope, and often I'm used to seeing both a activity envelope and a building envelope. Is this kind of one in the same? As, or The reason you're, you're used to seeing now activity envelope and building envelope is we have site plan review. And this has not been through site plan review yet. Okay. So we this was back in the day when we just did building envelopes. And then through site plan review, they'll have to locate the, the septic system, the, the driveway, uh, the house, well, all of those things will have to be depicted on a site plan. And then we'll have, we could have several envelopes. We could have the, the building envelope, a landscape envelope, a septic envelope, et cetera. Okay. But all within the outlines of right. that one building envelope. All, all within the overall. And then the other question I have is, does this 30-foot setback from the edge of the bluff, is that depicted on this at all? I mean, I just drew a line in randomly. But <laughs> it's not on, on the county, that's right. It's a private restriction. It's not a restriction that the county is enforcing other than the wildfire restriction, which gets handled as a condition of the approval. Uh, okay. But, yeah, there, there, is, there are drawings that exist uh, between the neighbors that showed that 30-foot line. You know, because when I 
first read this at home without your explanations and, and more detail, um, I was concerned that adding the extra um, size to the building envelope might you know, bring the house more forward and make it more visible. And you're saying that's the opposite. So uh, I'm kind of wondering if it would make sense to also record that 30-foot <coughs> restriction in, in our documents so that if future neighbors remove that if there's a you know if there's a change in ownership and it starts to creep more forward because it is a very prominent kind of bluff area for those driving up Castle Creek and it, you know I, it looks like a lot of discretion and thought has gone into the application but if there's already kind of a side agreement why not incorporate it into this approval as well I don't have any problem uh, amending that to show that there's a 30-foot setback I have none at all and there's also a 50-foot setback from the Hayden end to keep the house from being built in the last 50 feet. So just for view planes to help the hall. So um, both of those are under, you know, under contract. I have no problem noting them. Okay. I, 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 we recorded private, yeah. the private restrictions, but they're recorded in the county records. So yeah. But they, they could be lifted again by private yeah. agreement if there's sure. a redevelopment. You sure. know. So I, I think it would be valuable to go ahead and include those in here. Thank you. Happy to do it. Great. Other questions, Steve? I would like to commend you on persevering for so long to jump through all the hoops, and I commend you on having conveyed the 22 acres to the music associates. Thank you for recognizing that. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. I've, I've been involved in long land use things with our own family, and, and um, I'm glad that you were able to work it out with the halls to get the access through there because that's what made the whole thing possible with the music associates. Um, I don't have any problem with the changes in the, the building envelope area because they're reasonable and uh, realize that, number one, a lot of people want to build things right up so they get the best view they want to put it right up to the edge, right. which also means that everybody else has the best view of their house. And, right. and setting your house farther back against the hill is, you know, even a few feet can make a big difference on how visible the house is from, um, from the road going up. But also that would make it much more defensible in case of fire because the fire coming up the hill is is the most dangerous to the house there. Setting it back away from the edge makes it more defensible. Thank you. So I don't have Thanks. any questions for you, but just... I appreciate the comment. Yeah. I really do, because it was, it was a large donation for us to, to make to the music school. And it seemed to work for everybody. Everybody was pretty happy with it. So. Lance, I got a question. You went through this, but just to clarify my mind, uh, under the background, because this is still under a takings remediation, and so uh, the the approval conditions uh, were given three years, and so now again, uh, those expired in 2006. Um, in 2008, they were extended. So it's the approval for the reliance on these conditions, and how is that different than vesting rights? That's my question. I'll let uh, John, John Ely respond to that. It's a bit of a nuance. Uh, the state statutory scheme regarding vested rights 
allows uh, local jurisdictions to define when vested rights attach to a development approval within some parameters. And one of those things uh, that we are allowed to do is to decide if a vested right would associate with a takings determination or not. And the land use code sets up the the, uh, the, um, the reality that we do not recognize a vested right associated with a takings determination. It becomes immediately um, subject to any changes in regulations and so forth. Um, and uh, as a um, accommodation, uh, the board will, uh, from time to time, recognize the way it was done here that the uh, remediation, not the development approval so much, but this remediation of a taking, which all intents and purposes is a, a very similar event, um, uh, that the property owner or successor can rely upon the language within the uh, remediation for a period of, of three years. It essentially gets you uh, to the same position, but there are openings such that if, uh, um, if something is discovered on the property, uh, we can recognize that and change the approval. And that reflects the reality because typically if you get to a takings remediation, you've, the property has been identified with some particular hazard or concern that, that has been uh, addressed one way or the other in the course of the remediation. But, you know, if the hillsides moves or if something changes, we can recognize that and step in to, uh, to alter or amend the, the remediation. All right, thank you. Other questions? Rachel? Yeah, I um, don't know if the uh, just off the agenda is enough, but we need the memo here. Uh, I would move <coughs> to approve the uh, John C. Bishop Family Trust Amendment to a development permit uh, with the addition of the language to note the um, uh, separate agreements on uh, setbacks from the edge of the uh, bluff and the Hayden side. And, and to re-add the square footage in the TDR. Thing. And to so add the um, yeah. reiteration of the um, uh, existing uh, size, house size requirements and TDR requirements. Second. Second. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all in favor say aye. 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 Great, thank you. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your work. Take care. Yeah, the next one's going to be a little longer. Okay. So, 10, 15 minutes, what do we need? 15 minutes. So, we'll reconvene at a quarter of two. Thank you. Condition of grocery store. The Meadowwood subdivision non-conforming use without significant changes. Hearing officer appeal a special review for the TDR. This is the second reading. Uh, Mike Kramer will present from Condell. Okay, thank you. Um, this is the second reading of our code amendments, as um, the chairman's explained. Um, we met actually for the first time at a public hearing on January 9th, the last BOCC meeting to go over the proposed ordinance and um, the board had some direction to staff to work on some language. And George, I was going to ask you, how do you want me to go through it? Do you want me to do as I did last time and go through the entirety of the ordinance? Or should I just um, go through the changes that we talked about? Or how would you like me to do it? 
any particular board pleasure? We go through one at a time. One at a time. Okay, then I think it'd be good to go through the ordinance then, if that's okay. So if we go to attachment A, that's just the proposed staff ordinance um, with some you know reiterations from uh, iterations from the last ordinance. Uh, we'll start on page three of twelve. That's exhibit A. And this code amendment was to create an appeal process for uh, a hearing officer, de hearing officer decision for transferable development rights. And it's a, it's a really simple code change. Um, as of today, the code stands that there's a review by staff and a decision by the hearing officer for special review requests for TDRs. And it's kind of odd. We just don't have an appeal process for I'm it. I'm sorry. I'm lost here. Where are we on this? Oh, Exhibit A. I, I'm on Exhibit A, but I don't see the information. Page 3 of 12. Page 3 of 12. Um, okay. I'm sorry. Page 4 of 12. 4 12. Is, uh, is uh, our chart in our land use code. And this chart dictates processes. Oh, I got it. Okay, thank you. This chart it shows all the processes for um, land use review. And for the use of a TDR, this is actually a hearing officer decision. It's a review by staff. And for some reason, there's no appeal to the Board of County Commissioners, and that needs to be in there. So what staff has done is included an A for appeal under BOCC. And it's a really small A, and it's a really small chart, but it's in there. <laughs> It's page 4 of 12, and that will create an appeal process for an applicant to appeal a decision by the hearing officer. Okay, Rachel? Does it also create a appeal process for neighbors who may have disagreed with the hearing? So it's both Correct. the applicant and the affected. <coughs> Thank you. So do we want to, do we need to approve these? I mean, should we sort of get a, at least a nod of heads as we go along each one, and then we do a final approval with a vote? That'd be okay for me. That's good. On this one. Okay, good with this one? So, yeah. So, are we agreeing with you or are we well, I, agreeing with this? Agreeing with you and this. <laughs> Hopefully both. Okay, okay perfect. Um, the next one will actually be a, a link between a couple pages here, so I'll, I'll explain it. Uh, of the ordinance, page 7 of 12, um, Number six is uh, actually a direction of the Board of County Commissioners. As you remember, we met uh, in the spring of last year, and we talked about special events, and, and there was a number of topics discussed. And um, at the end of the meeting, there were some action items for ComDev staff to accomplish. One of these action items was to create a less onerous, essentially a, a deregulation of some smaller special events within the county. And those smaller special events, uh, what we identified and defined here are low-impact photo and movie film productions. And what staff did was we convened the special events committee, and actually uh, Commissioner Child was there too, representing the Snowmass Capital Caucus. Uh, we discussed um, small photo and film uh, shoots that occur in the county, and we talked about how we can basically um, create a less onerous process and not have them go through the formal special event permitting application. And essentially, they can um, email staff with the standards outlined here in number six, and staff can respond with an email saying to go ahead with that with that photo shoot uh, or that movie film production uh, subject to these standards that they would have to meet. Um, and at the last meeting, uh, we talked at length about trying to create basically a floor um, exemption for commercial photo shoots or um, other types of photo shoots that are so non-impactful um, that they should not even be under this exemption. In fact, they should not even be listed as a special event or temporary commercial use. 
and the idea uh, was tossed out about a photo shoot for a restaurant. Rob, you gave the example. Um, we also had the idea if someone was taking a picture of their pickup truck to sell in the classified ads, that's obviously not something commercial either. Um, also came to staff's mind was that if there is somebody just cruising up Aspen Mountain um, and they want to take a couple pictures and then sell them um, as a one-man show or one-person show, that that was also very non-impactful. So what we did was um, we uh, def redefined what a temporary commercial use and special event is. And I'm going to have you flip to a different page now. Um, page 12 of 12 is um, going to change Chapter 11, our definitions in our land use code. And it's kind of weird how the code is set up. We actually have a definition for temporary commercial uses, and then we have a definition for temporary commercial use and special events. And it's almost it is the exact same language, and it overlaps. So what we thought was that we would eliminate the actual temporary commercial use language, and it's all captured within this next definition here. And the next definition um, includes some underlying language, which staff just took a stab at, um, and, and certainly uh, needs direction from the board that it should be changed, to exempt a really small photo shoot for a private sale. So essentially someone who's doing a real estate ad someone who's doing a, a classified ad, someone who's doing um, you know, a, an ad for a local business in town. And, and I'll just read it if it, if it helps too. Um, a temporary, and this is the definition of, of this use here. A temporary commercial use and special event means a temporary short-term uses of non-commercial lands or non-commercial structures for a commercial purpose or other temporary short-term purposes not specifically allowed in the zone district. Temporary commercial uses include, but are not limited to, A, filming of movies, television shows, commercials, or promotional spots, B, advertising photo shoots, or, now this is the additional language, photo shoots for private sale utilizing more than one vehicle for more than one 24-hour period, uh, and trade shows, et cetera, et cetera. So that underlying language, um, hopefully, was a was a first stab at trying to accomplish what Commissioner Ibner was talking about, so that we defined a commercial use and special event as such. Um, but in addition to that, if you're a photo shoot of uh, photo shoot for private sale with less than one vehicle, um, less than 24 hours, you're not under that definition and do not require a permit from us. Then, so that was our first our first stab at the language. Hold off for a second while we can absorb this. Any comments or questions, Rob? So I, I think the first thing that I just want to be clear at one, I think for the my interpretation of this from the for the public and stuff, is that there's nothing in here that makes our laws more our code more stringent. These are things that are making it less stringent. It's just the fact that they're Right now, any commercial activity requires a special event permit. They are maybe doing it within the county, but they're doing it in a non-conforming or non-unpermitted way. And this is allowing them to do lower levels of things with either a lesser permit, which is the first section. <coughs> The others without a permit at all. That's exactly interpretation correct. It's a nail on the head. And if 
for lack of a better word, this is essentially a deregulation, if you will, of yeah. how we do business today. Any other questions for clarification? Anything on that? Uh, Rachel? Um, George, I was just going to ask a question of you, really. Um, it, we obviously have members of the public here who are involved in these industries, and uh, I'm sure this one and then also the uh, helicopter slash drone uh, are of interest, and I am hoping that I don't know what's the appropriate time to have some input from, from the community. Yeah, I, this is not a public hearing today, uh, but I, I will allow some very, very brief comments, but uh, in terms of timing, I just want to make sure we'll, we'll sort of deal with this as, as sort of a land use item. We'll work with staff first and then make sure we have all our comments and questions answered for this particular item, and then we can, I'll, I'll take a few very brief comments from the public. So are there any other questions on this particular one for Mike Rachel? Well, it, it, again, it's not a question as much as a comment, but I also had wanted to make sure we are clear that this is about simplifying what is existing in the code today, whether or not people are following that or have realized the code may apply to them. But uh, commercial photo shoots or filming and these sort of things in people's neighborhoods traditionally have been, uh, especially when it's a, a longer activity, referred to the area caucus for caucus feedback and input, and then issues such as permitting for whether or not they're going to have cars on the side of the road or not on the road and things like that. And we were told by the industry during our work sessions that this is burdensome and that uh, particularly television commercials come up and go uh, within a week, that people want the space, they want to do it, the fall colors are perfect, and that our process, which could have taken you know, six weeks to two months to be able to get to a caucus, if there's a caucus in that area, to see if there um, are neighborhood concerns, we're slowing them down and inhibiting um, the process. So we uh, instructed our staff to see if we could find a way to you know, not quite pre-permit, but create a much simpler process with a faster turnaround and expedite the permits. And this is that. Thanks, Rachel. Yeah, and, and again, as Rob and Rachel and, and Mike has said, uh, we're not adding regulations. We're actually deregulating some of our land use codes. So just everyone should be really clear on that. Uh, Rob, part of it came up because of your concerns that everybody would be captured, everybody who has a camera would be captured in some sort of permitting process. Does this meet with your satisfaction? Well, um, I'd, I'd definitely like to hear from some of the people in the public. I think, as I, as I stated before, that this is, you know, in, in my mind, and Mike verified it, a deregulation of existing regulations. Um, I'm not sure that it goes far enough in deregulating. Uh, one vehicle uh, to me seems hard if you're going to a private home and you have a photographer and you know I'll use my restaurant as an example again. I hire a photographer to go do a private shoot in a private home and the <laughs> photographer comes up with his car and I come up in my car, well, then we're in violation of this. So I'm not sure that this is going far enough. I do recognize that it is a deregulation of our existing code. 
Um, and my recommendation would be to start with this, you know, or or maybe switch it to two cars, <laughs> and and um, and then somehow get some of the industry people together, who I think all want to be in compliance with our code, and have some sort of uh, meeting of the minds to make sure that it goes far enough for their needs as well. So. Two cars may be a little more reasonable, but still would not uh, have an adverse impact, I don't think, on a neighborhood or... Correct. Yeah. All right, thank you. Steve? There have been two occasions where we have had filmings done on our ranch. One was a commercial that took one day to complete the whole thing. Uh, it didn't <coughs> comply with these regulations at all. I'm sure we were out of compliance. There were probably 20 vehicles. There were cars parked on the county road. Don't you want to take um, the fifth seat? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. The production company may have It was, it was fascinating <laughs> to me. It was one of my days in Hollywood. And actually it was a shoot that they had a permit to do up by Maroon on Maroon Creek and the location didn't work out for them. They were scrambling to find a suitable aspen grove and came to us on a very short term while they had the whole crew there. They went ahead and did it without notifying my caucus or anything at the time. Uh, the second was the the uh, movie The Frozen, which was filmed last winter on our ranch and in Redstone. And I have no idea whether they followed any of the regulations either. They did. Getting the, they received a permit. Getting the permits, I presume that they did. I didn't have anything to do with that one. But um, the long-term impact on our ranch was zero. There's nothing left. It was, you know, just totally a temporary thing. Um, Short-term impact for sure. There's some cars and people around, and um, you know, tracks in the field and <coughs> things like that. But nothing long-term. So that's my experience with with. Uh, these small, small kind of commercial operations for doing a film shoot. Um, I agree with Rob that I think we need to look at it further based on the, the level of interest of people contacting us on, in terms, you know, people involved in the film industry and the advertising industry have concerns about the regulation and they have some really valid points and some good ideas that I think could improve the regulations beyond where they are now. And I don't recall that there were any, at, at the meeting out at the fire station, it was all law enforcement people. And myself and you were there, Mike, but I don't believe there was anybody there representing the industry, the film industry. <coughs> um, I think some um, kind of a summit of getting you together with uh, people from the industry and look at maybe changing the wording or you know taking their ideas into account would would be appropriate at this time. Um, and if I could just add into um, that's true at the meeting we didn't have anyone from the industry there they were invited um, and I actually did uh, work with, and I can just say it because they know, uh, Aspen Productions, uh, Jerry Long and Liz Long, they do a lot of business in the county. 
and um, they have a, receive a lot of permits from us. And we actually, I personally vetted this with them um, to go over what they thought was an appropriate set of exemption, for lack of a better word, standards um, to, to do this. But that's a great idea to get to get more people involved too. Rachel? Not right. uh, Michael? Rachel? Well, in response to Steve, we had numerous, we had numerous hearings on the subject with numerous attendees, all in the industry, who, who are concerned about um, permitting. But uh, from, for, at least from my point, so we've done a, a lot of outreach to So, but from my point of view is that you, you simply, whether or not you experienced disruptions, there are, there's the possibility of disruption from production companies and from people who, having having made this community a community of neighborhoods and caucuses, people who come to exploit that and leave the leave the scene of the crime essentially, with the impacts unanswered, undealt with, and so I think this is a a fair look at that to make sure that um, both the neighborhoods, caucus areas aren't impacted unfairly, or at least aware of the impacts before they happen, and also to give the production companies some guidance in exactly what is it, their expectations of them are. And so I, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. So. Rachel? Yeah, I, I was going to agree, I think, with both Michael and Steve in that um, When you get in more rural areas and you have a large piece of property, <clears throat> it's perhaps far less likely to impact neighbors. Uh, when you get into Mountain Valley and the roads are very tight and windy, and uh, there have been examples there where the neighbors will complain to say there are 15 cars parked on the sides of the streets here and uh, they didn't clean up and there's trash on the uh, <coughs> stairway afterwards and our snow plows haven't been able to get through. And was this permitted? And it, it wasn't, and there was no, you know, guidance about the traffic concerns or the safety concerns. That so, you know, people were like, a fire truck could not get through here. They're double parked on both sides of the road. So it's not as if I want to be in an over-regulation business either. Uh, but there are real concerns that happen. And then I would also agree with Steve that you know we can always uh, look for and find ways to improve the code. And if additional outreach is required or input or ideas. Um, we can continue to do that. Um, these codes did go through our planning and zoning as well, so there were public hearings and discussions about them there. And, um, you know, we'll just kind of keep trying to make it better, but it's that balancing act of not having unintended consequences to people who feel like they're living, you know, particularly in a residential neighborhood or uh, when they're, um, uh, you know, or, or make it unduly burdensome on the industry. And, you know, the current codes are pretty rough, and that it may be why some people move forward without permitting in the first place. But I think that, again, when you get out of a commercial area and it's no longer a commercial property and it's a residential area, neighbors do kind of have a right to know that you're, you know, starting to create or allow commercial activities. So, any other Questions for Mike on this topic at this point? We can come back. So, what I'll do is, if, any, if anybody from the public is here to just address this particular item, again, this is not a public hearing, uh, so don't abuse the power. <laughs> I will cut you off if necessary. So, brief comments. Thank you. And just identify yourself. 
young lady? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm here by accident. Um, You're in the wrong place, you mean? No, but it actually turned out. You want to identify really yourself, thing. please? <laughs> Shelly Roy, Thank and um, because I've, I'm in real estate and um, I'm very uh, close friends with David Marlowe, I've been on numerous photo shoots. And if your intention is to kind of make this code easy, we've never gotten a permit because what happens is you go in, you one don't have much notice. The owner will call or the broker will call the day before and say, we're going to have a sunny day tomorrow and we need to catch the light at such time. You come in and so first of all, the one thing you're going to have to look at is this uh, 7 to 7. I would suggest you change that language to two hours after sunset because some of the prime photographs in town are drawn right at the time of sunset, and particularly since you're including, uh, you know, take down time, you're going to need about two hours. The second thing is, unless you've been getting a lot of complaints from people having a photographer come into a single-family home and take photographs, I would completely delete paragraph B under your temporary commercial events. It's the uh, Exhibit G page. Because that language actually is going to catch people that I don't think you're trying to catch. And in fact, that language describes almost completely what most is being done here without any of those people thinking they need a permit. Never crossed my mind that when I hired David to take a picture of a house, I needed to have a permit. And why this language doesn't work, um, Rob, you hit it. Not only will the photographer come with the, 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 the vehicle, Depending on the size of the house, that vehicle is often completely filled with lights and, and tackle and everything that they need to take these pictures. The photo assistant, and usually it's a singular, very rarely are there two, might come in their own car for various reasons, that they can come and go if they need something, leaving the main vehicle there really as the vehicle of which they load and unload from. So to make it easy, I would delete your paragraph B Unless two years down the line or six months down the line, you're getting a lot of complaints for this kind of activity because that's what this paragraph describes. And the only other thing that's a caveat, though it says two days, two days seems really reasonable. Again, in that industry, because they're so tied to where the light is and what's changing, I've often seen them show up, think they're doing it, take two photographs, an unexpected storm comes in, and they disband for a couple days. They're back four or five days later to see if they can get it again. I've even been with friends who said, oh my God, the light's good. Let's go see if we can get that picture. We all jump in the car and go and try to get it. So that, that's why if you want to loosen, watch a little bit how tight you get on your language to define. Thank you. Uh, anybody else that is different information, not reiterating the same information that Shelly just gave? Um, yeah, she does more Greg Bushman. Um, I just wanted to say that I appreciate what Rob said, Steve said, and, and, and listening to what everyone else said, I do understand and, and sympathize. Um, all I can say at this point, there, there are several concerns we have with this. I have several letters here from many people in, in the community who are very concerned, but they're working at the X Games, they can't get here, or they're somewhere else, but they're very deeply concerned. Pitkin County has a reputation in the country uh, for being perhaps the most restrictive place for production. Many productions have gone away. Those productions could have given us a lot of PR value, marketing value that uh, the city and the resort have limited budgets to pay for. 
yet we're so restrictive that people will not consider coming here. I've had many, many clients go away. Additionally, I've had filmmakers, producers, people who've worked with Mike even have said, I'm afraid to go speak to those people. Others said, I got out of the business because uh, it was so restrictive. I, I feel as if I've been run out of town. That was a quote that I received from someone today. Um, so what I'm going to ask, please, I implore you to do is table this discussion for several months or as long as it takes to get the community of filmmakers and production people in here to discuss this and come up with something that works. Because really, the level of restriction is it's too much. It, and I appreciate the efforts to deregulate, and, and boy, I applaud that. It's not going far enough, and it's not well enough informed yet. That's all I can tell you. Um, last bit on the regarding helicopters. We're not on that. You're not there yet. No, okay. So can I just tell you one uh, one sentence here? Not about helicopters so much, but uh, what I want I want to read what I wrote. Um, it, it would be very helpful if staff would reach out, if you direct staff to reach out to the production community beyond the few they've spoken to. Uh, explore what other communities are doing in this regard. See where the technology is going. Learn about the cultural and economic benefits of a vibrant and supported film and photo community, um, as opposed to one that's inhibited and held at a disadvantage. And uh, thank you. That's that's my comment. Thank you. Uh, my name is Michael Conniff. I'm here as a uh, one of the community members that helped to get the Isaacson School for New Media started at Colorado Mountain College. I'm speaking for myself, not for the college. I want to make that clear. Um, we have um, are trying with the uh, Isaacson School as a linchpin to create what we're calling the Digital Valley. We are trying to to using Silicon Valley and places like that um, as a model. We're trying to make this an extremely friendly place for people to create businesses and to create jobs around digital skill sets, also known sometimes as the creative economy, including all of the things we've been discussing. What I haven't heard in this discussion, first of all, I want to thank you for trying to deregulate this. This is definitely a step in the right direction, so thank you. But. Um, but that's, I haven't heard one comment about how this could impact the local economy. Not a single comment. Um, uh, I, would, I can tell you I'm, I'm in the similar businesses as everyone here for comment. And um, I didn't know about this permitting process. And uh, we just did a shoot. And I don't think anybody got hurt. Uh, nobody was. Nobody complained. Um, and final thing, I just say, uh, I heard the word exploiting the community. This is not about exploiting the community. This is about helping the community. If you look at New York City uh, as an example, or Toronto, or any mecca of film production, um, if you're from New York City and you see a film crew there, you're happy to see the film crew because that's helping the economy. How many, you know, tons of jobs being created. And, and, and ultimately helping the citizens of Pitkin County. So I think it's important to um, consider this in the broader economic cont uh, context so that rather than just being you know, <coughs> slightly deregulated, I would, I would actually throw it all out, start over and try to have as few as possible, as few as possible. Because you know what? For the most part, people are going to ignore this. People are going to ignore these regulations. They do today. And I have one other question. Is there an enforcement mechanism? Like, what do you get? What happens if you don't get a permit? Is there an enforcement mechanism? Thank you. We're not going to have a. Uh, I'm sorry. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
Uh, my name is Iska Childs. I am, uh, well, uh, on two counts, this concerns me, one as a property owner and someone who rents their property, uh, so that I'm taking photographs uh, with one of these things and putting them up on the Internet to try and rent that property, and under those uh, new regulations, or ones of which I've been unaware of until this time, everybody who's on VRBO or HomeAway would have to pull permit in order for the photographs that they've taken in their own rental property to go up on the internet. Uh, which, boy, have, have fun regulating that one and going into the whole property managers and all the individual owners and getting that one sorted out. Uh, I think you're, you're creating a, a real uh, boondoggle for yourselves if, you, if, that's, if that's the starting point that we're, we're going on. Again, I want to reiterate what everybody has said. Thank God that you're really looking at deregulating this. But I, I want to also say what everybody else has been saying, which is take a look at what the standards in the industry are. Take a look at, at like municipalities, like uh, uh, counties. And although uh, uh, Michael has mentioned you know, some big cities, which you may not feel are commensurate to ours, one that's really close to ours is Moab. They've got the oldest film commission in the world. Take a look at how they regulate film and also take a look at what sort of economic benefit comes to the city of Moab and to that part of Utah out of the film industry that they've got there. We are not, we're part of the community, guys. We are here to work with you. I would love to know, Rachel, what the complaints have been. I don't want to know from whom. I just want to know what, where, and when. We will do everything in our power to, to try and, and mitigate any sort of complaints that there have been and make it better so that it doesn't happen next time around. But honest to God, for the most part, our, our clients, especially our repeat clients in this, in this valley, are so good about making sure that they've made no impact at all. And all through the 90s, I mean, how many of you knew that we were doing 60 uh, shoots a year in the 90s here? I bet you didn't, and I bet you never saw one. But all you saw was the money coming to you trickling down. Honest to God. And that's that's up to that's from good people like Klaus Obermeyer Jr., who's one of the top cameramen in the world, who keeps bringing stuff back to his valley, and to Taylor Phillips, who's Liz Phillips' son, who tries to bring things back to this valley. I can keep on going forever on that. And I'll try and make this, you know, much briefer, but I want to speak to one thing which is in my area of expertise, which is not in any of these other people's, which is when you say it has to be built to code if you're building something. That is not the way the entertainment industry works. We cannot build to code. We are putting up a temporary structure. If we have to build to what your building codes are, we cannot make it temporary. We cannot tear it down in the time frame that we've got to tear it down. And we can't build it in the time frame that we've got to build it. That's the whole point of it. It's a temporary structure. It's not a functional structure. It's a decorative structure. And there are other already uh, codes in place from the state and I believe also from the city as far as what is display regulations are for a temporary structure. And that's what we're talking about here. You can't regulate styrofoam rocks for White Fang 2 to be up to building code. It just doesn't work that way. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Anybody else? <coughs> Seeing that I'm going to close the public hearing be as it was. <laughs> Um, bring it back to the board. I, I did hear some good suggestions. I think there's some misinformation out there. Uh, it's always interesting whenever we attempt to uh, change our code to improve it, 
how much it raises the awareness of what the codes really are. And that's sort of a positive thing uh, that always comes from this. And we've, we've had some great examples in the past. Uh, the most recent I can think of is uh, the work we did on our ag uh, with the ag committee, which was uh, very, very successful. It took some time, staff time and, and volunteer time, committee time, but it ended up with a very, I think, very uh, good product in terms of improving the code to enhance and encourage the continued use of that property. So I, I use that sort of as an example anyway, as a as a, a model or a possibility if we want to uh, pursue this uh, further with a committee. Uh, as Michael has said, uh, this has gone through PNC. There have been numerous meetings. We've had public meetings on this. And as usual, uh, whenever something comes to the to the final reading, people seem to come out of the woodworks, but that's fine. Uh, it's always an opportunity to, to hear from the public. Rachel. Yeah, you know, uh, just briefly in response, um, I think that it's important to note that as, and I agree, I think the language sounds fairly arcane, but this code amendment would make it so there's no question about taking private photos, uh, you know, at a home for getting on the real estate market. That was one of the things we brought up at the last meeting of going inside places, outside places, whatever. And we were, it, it may obscure it more than it uh, enhances it, but that that section is, is supposed, and maybe it needs to be broken out and not try to include it in one long paragraph or one long kind of run-on sentence there to say what is excluded from needing a permit and just be more directly about saying what's excluded rather than this doesn't apply if it's less than one car and less than, you know. But uh, that's one thought. But this, this is trying to do that. And then the second is, uh, you, know, you know, sadly, you know, we, ha we had a death from an unpermitted photo shoot on the back of Aspen Mountain just a couple years ago. And, and you'd like to think that sort of thing doesn't happen, but it does. And whether the permitting process would have helped improve that or not, it's hard to say, but there could have been additional requirements for what type of safety personnel will be available. And, you know, um, you know we, we do have complaints from time to time. And, you know, it does happen that some people are disrespectful, and I do appreciate your comments and those of others that the industry tries to police itself and, well, wants to make sure everyone's a good actor, <coughs> and a good character in, in how that they don't impact neighborhoods. So um, that's all. And I, I, as I said earlier, I support the idea of continuing to try to improve and simplify <coughs> the activities. Other comments, Rob? Yeah, and just to voice some of uh, my response to some of the things that were heard and in slight reiteration to, to Rachel, the code that we're proposing, first of all, is going to help the VRBO thing because right now that's illegal. With this, you can take a photo with your iPhone and put it, sell it for whatever you want because it's one person less than 24 hours. So right now that's illegal with the new code amendment that becomes legal to do on your own. But, Rob, illegal is not well, really I'm the sorry. term. You're not it's against jail it's, sentence. It's in violation of our code. It requires a permit. It requires a permit. It's in violation of our code. Um, tabling this to later, um, I think, is uh, was another comment that Greg brought up. This is a step in the right direction. Do I think it goes as far as we want it to go? No. Um, I do think it needs more work, and I do think we need more input from the thing. I'm not sure tabling it to later 
solves anything because the things that are still in violation of our code are in violation of our code. Um, taking out the photo shoot aspect, um, the problem with that is is that there's got to be a limit of one of some level. There are photo shoots that happen that are very large. Victoria's Secret comes in here, you know, and does big photo shoots. So what's what's the limit there? And I think there's needs to be more conversation. But again, the language of two vehicles, 24 hours, as an exemption to the code that we have, is a step in the right direction. Maybe it should be more than that. And I think that's open for discussion. Um, I, and I do think this is all about the local economy. I heard it from a lot of people, and I want to make clear that that's definitely on my mind, that uh, making uh, code <coughs> aspects challenging for our economy as a tourist economy, as one of the most beautiful places on Earth, um, and the, the film and photography industry that come in here, um, whether they're dining at restaurants, staying in hotels, shopping in stores, um, all those things is a big piece of our economy and very uh, valuable to us. Um, I do think that there needs to be more discussion going forward, but I do think that there's nothing that's been presented to us today that is making anything any worse in our code. Yeah, and to follow up on Rob, I think that what's interesting here is that one of the reasons people come here and want to shoot here is because of the way the nature of this community. And the nature of this community, to a large degree, is based on our code, on our restrictive growth management and our rural character. Uh, and the preservation of all those aspects. And I suppose people could go to Garfield County and do their shoots there unregulated, but who wants a backdrop of oil rig? I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that very code that we're struggling with that has made this an attractive community to film in the first place. And the preservation of the, of this, of the natural aspect of this community, the, environment is based on our codes. And you can see uh, in other communities where they don't have restrictive codes, people aren't that interested in shooting Victoria's Secrets. When are those shoots, do you know? <laughs> They're on the Wexner properties. <laughs> <laughs> so all 5,000 acres of it. So, uh, so I, I, this is a struggle. I, I get that. But, uh, but I don't see that it's uh, damaging to, to our economy. In fact, I, I see that a, a, a rationally regulated economy typically has the best economy. And there is nothing wrong with our economy because of code regulation. It's just uh, nobody can point it out to me that code regulation damage our economy. And I would posit that, in fact, it's enhanced our community. And it's the reason people want to come here and they want to film and they want to participate in the lifestyle and and um, and and uh, way of life that we have built ourselves here, and that's what I mean by exploitation. Having built this community, to have somebody come in for three days and disrupt a neighborhood or disrupt a rural area and then leave—that's exploitation. 
pure and simple. Not because because it's it's convenient for them. Now, to to prevent total exploitation, seems to me we have to have some degree of regulation. And this attempt is to back off actually on regulation, and I've, I'm quite comfortable with it. Uh, and there have been abuses, and they've led to unfortunate circumstances. So I'm, I'm comfortable with this. We're still struggling with it. It'll probably be improved, but I'm comfortable proceeding, quite frankly. The, um, Steve, I'm sorry, do you have any comments before I make a comment? Um, what do you think about I will that? eventually. Um, I don't think uh, tabling it is the right direction, because if we table it, then we're going to be operating under the code, <coughs> which I think uh, we're trying to correct. So in my mind, um, the path for me would be to approve this and I, with, with an amendment, and I like Rob's uh, suggestion in terms of uh, adding one additional car, that makes sense. And then if there's an interest uh, by the film and media community to commit themselves to work on a committee with staff, then I would welcome that. But knowing that there is going to be a time commitment you know, when that ad committee came together, they were diligent. They worked tremendously hard. There was a lot of hours in it, but they ended up a very good end product. And that's what it requires. It doesn't require meaning that you, you come for 10 to 15 minutes from one, one meeting and, and you're going to be able to resolve this issue. So if there's a commitment uh, by those uh, in the industry willing to form a committee and work with staff, then I would be supportive of this because there's always ways to look at improving. But to table it at this point, or not to approve it, means that we're going to be, we're not taking any more comments. I'm not commenting. I'm just waiting here to join a committee. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be my suggestion. Joy? Yes. I, and I, also another example, it seems to me, is our recent struggle with accessible dwellings, which we had a, a volunteer citizen who spent over a year with our community development to to come up with uh, an improved building code. Um, that kind of commitment led to our approving something that I think is a real advance in our code. So I, I think you're right. I, I don't think we should table it. I think we should go forward. Uh, we need some advice from an attorney, perhaps? Um, I just want to make a couple of comments to the proposed language um, in advance of a motion. I okay. think we went through the cycle, but I wasn't sure. Well, let's well we have one more topic before we get to a motion on the whole ordinance. Well, happens. for this language. Okay, yeah. well, hold on for that. I'll get back to you, John. So, Rachel, you had your hand up. Well, yeah, you know, I, I guess um, I want to say it, this is a challenging section of code because at some level we're, it mixes temporary commercial use special event and that may be a film set <coughs> or shoot or it may be a large fundraising party and I'm you know I'd have to Jessica just following up on your comment I'm not sure that uh, under temporary commercial uses special event the existing code number one about temporary structures shall conform to adopt the building codes is that does that translate to what could be a set for a photo shoot or is that trying to assure that if there's 
you know, a tent put up for a special event fundraiser that it's safe and not going to collapse on people in a windstorm. You know, um, and I, because you had cited that as being a, a potential problem in the code. Again, it's part of the existing code. But it's, it seems to me, other than that, we've now broken out number six as being specific to photo and film productions. Do the other provisions um, under one through one, one through five apply to the things under number six? And so that's what I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of wondering if a, a part of a cleanup would be to separate out the types of, of special events so that if it's a gathering, it's a dance, it's a fundraiser, it's a picnic, there's, it's very clear, this is over here, and, you know, photo, film, uh, of a, of a um, medium to large scale is, is over here, and then the exempted things are over there so that, that you know, it flows in a more readable way um, to, you know, the layperson or someone else who's trying to understand our codes. But that's, you know, that's just a question for staff because I, you know, I don't know if a temporary structure is uh, a set. Is that different from if it's uh, something <coughs> that will be inhabited by people, a dance floor is not going to collapse, <coughs> type of things, and then what we mean by that. Yeah. that and, and if I uh, could on that. I mean, we have a building code which defines temporary structures, and they do have different criteria than a permanent structure. And habitation is always the key. The example that was given of styrofoam rocks, I mean, obviously, you can have styrofoam rocks in a film shoot. But if you have people in a tent, it has to meet certain building code requirements and fire code requirements for a tent structure, wind load, etc. And, and that, that's what that is, is meant, that there are applicable adopted building codes for temporary structures, and, okay. and they need to meet those. Thank you for that clarification. Rob? And I also want to just ask a question on the, uh, the 7 to 7 that's listed in here, which is really in reference to our current noise regulations. So it really has nothing to do with their ability to shoot after 7. They just have to be in compliance with noise regulations after 7. They could shoot at midnight if they want, as long as they're not making any noise. Actually, well, that's not exactly yeah. true, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so so I correctly identifies the current noise regulations in the county. Oh, and then you've and got the, the film. Yeah, if you're loud, the, the sheriff's office will go out with a noise meter and, and take a breeding. But uh, what you're talking about, Rob, is G, where it says filming shall last for no more than two days from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and this includes setup and takedown, and that's what Shelly was talking about. That was uh, that's where she asked us to extend that. I guess my question to the board would be, you know, if someone's shooting inside, what does it matter if they're shooting at 11 o'clock at night versus shooting, you know, I mean, I understand, but there are other things in our code that prohibit disturbances and those sorts of things. I'm not sure that that language is, is needed at all because of that. Well, there's point at which, you know, we have building hours which you can build and, you know, neighbors sometimes depend on wanting to sleep in the morning and again, if we think about really rural areas, that's one thing. When you start thinking about more compact neighborhoods and if, if people are going to start before 7 a.m., they're arriving, uh, you know, is that an impact to the neighborhood or is it, is, do we start to say anything goes? 
you know, same, you know, because th this is within at least one of the sections I'm looking at, maybe not all of them, is, you know, five vehicles, uh, 15 people, you know, if, if you're in a very small neighborhood where it's five homes to an acre, that that's not nothing, you know. I, I, I think Shelley's idea was good to extend the hours after sunset, um, you know, but, uh, you know, at what point would it make more sense for someone to just kind of be able to keep building to 11 o'clock at night and, 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 you know, they could get the job done faster, but that, that, that starts to impinge on the neighbors. <coughs> and actually, Rachel, that's exactly where we got those time frames from, too, was the building. They look familiar. Okay. <laughs> But John, I can see the value of an evening shoot, too. So, so John Neely, you want to add some, uh, look at some language? Um, well, the first thing I wanted to mention is the, uh, the language in page 7 of 12, which is the criteria under subparagraph 7 at the bottom of that page, as well as the language for the amendment to temporary commercial use of special events on page 12 of 12. Um, hasn't been reviewed by the PNZ yet. That was uh, that was done in response to DOCC comments at the last meeting. So that 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 stuff will have to go back to the PNZ and then come back to the board. That doesn't mean the board can't adopt it at first reading. Now it simply has to go through that step pursuant to the code. Um, the other comment I wanted to mention is that in the new language on page uh, 12 of 12. Um, there's a, a breakdown within that paragraph of, uh, of uh, component parts of an A, B, and then a Roman numeral 3. I think the Roman numeral 3 needs to be switched to a C because uh, a reviewing body won't know how, what to make of that when you try to categorize things. Also, there is a distinction between, between A and B, between photo shoots and filming. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure what that means. I think the implication is a, a motion picture versus a, a still picture. Um, but uh, I think the definition probably needs to be expanded to make that clear to, uh, to be able to enforce this. And, but on the other hand, perhaps there really is no distinction between the two events because they are potentially both impactive or non-impactive and might be able to be addressed in the same way with this. Uh, limitation of uh, of no more than two vehicles, uh, 24 hour period uh, type of affair. And so I wanted the board to consider that either figuring out a way to express this filming photo shoot idea, or perhaps joining the two together. Yeah. Uh, you know, as long as we're on that page 12 of 12. Temporary. I, I still read this paragraph. It almost seems like a double negative to me that, you know, on the one hand, it's describing what is supposed to be exempt, but then it ends up saying temporary commercial uses slash special events require the issuance of a temporary use permit. And, and so, you know, we're sitting there saying this is exempt if it's only two cars, less than 24 hours, and this, but it's just that, that is a very confusing paragraph to me. Yeah, it could have a definitive sentence instead of the way it's written. It, it could say, the following will not require, require a permit. Yeah. That, that was your earlier point in terms of uh, specifying what's actually excluded and separating that out. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's easier. In <coughs> so, John, are you... Oh, I'm sorry. Um, trying to think of where to go from here... <coughs> 
realizing that there was a lot of work put in by a lot of people to get to where we are at this point on the temporary use permits and making them less restrictive and um, and yet thinking that we need to go further and get a committee working on looking at um, maybe more major revisions of the whole filming filming industry and how we want how to make it more accessible along lines of the Moab film 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 uh, commission. commission something like that I think would be very important to pursue that um, and I suggest that maybe we should approve the changes that have been made and I presume that there's no problem with coming back and a short order and with more revisions to the same rules is that is that correct John yeah. keep doing it as we uh, could change them every week if we wanted to not quite that fast but <laughs> pretty regularly if you want so the, uh, by approving what has already been done here it would it would improve the situation remove some of the restrictions and then get a group of people working with the community development on looking at the big picture of the, you know, maybe major revision or whatever proactive kind of things to try to make uh, it more possible for the film industry to work here without taking their business elsewhere because it's too onerous here. Well, again, that, that was my suggestion was to move this forward and, and those who have been purchased to the former committee to to continue to uh, redefine it. Frankly, I'm not very interested in, in uh, turning Aspen or Pickney County into into a Moab or, or whatever that county's name is. Um, if you go down there, you'll see, a, as Michael said, you'll see a vast difference in terms of values and, and, and impact. So that's a whole nother discussion. Um, but we could certainly work on this in terms of simplifying this aspect. Uh, <coughs> so that's what I would suggest we move forward on. With, with a few of these uh, little revisions, uh, separating uh, that paragraph out, 12 to 12, uh, defining what's actually excluded, adding one additional car allowed uh, to be excluded uh, under those exclusions uh, as a starting point. And the two hours after sunset, is that better than 7 to 7 p.m.? or? Yeah. Thought on that. Well, I, I, really, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, 7 to 7, you know, in the wintertime, it's, it's two hours after sunset is 7 to 7 p.m. Yeah. Summertime is 9 p.m. So, <laughs> other thought, Bob? Um, maybe some thought on, on direction with this is actually second reading, not first reading. Of some of the text. Some of the text. So do we move forward, because this has to go to P&Z, move forward with some of this ordinance, uh, you know, some of this land, uh, is it an ordinance or some of this ordinance and leave out the other stuff to go back to P&Z? What's the, what's the recommendation in terms of moving forward on everything? But as you said, some of it has to. The board's uh, uh, poised to adopt at a second reading um, the language that it reviewed last time with those mo those minor modifications. 
which is, I believe, everything but the two sections that I referred to, the, the criteria under the uh, 7 of 12. 12 of 12. Well, the, the whole... 7 or 12 is the helicopter right, that aspect. The criteria there, and 12 of 12 in its entirety. So that needs to be reviewed by P&Z before the board can adopt that with finality. Also, that aspect does significantly change uh, what it is you're adopting. In fact, this 12 of 12, the, the change to definitions has never been reviewed before now. We've talked about it generally, but there was never any language to be accepted. Mm -hmm. So this you can move forward on, but in the form of a first reading, and then it's referred to P&Z, and we'll come back to you. So it just kind of continues as a first reading. Those aspects. Yeah, those aspects. Yeah. Then the rest would be... You can adopt that with finality. We would adopt it with finality now. Thank you. So have we addressed the helicopter? We haven't. We haven't, but I, I'm, I was assuming, maybe I, that's the wrong something, that was going to fall under the special events part of it. But that, that, would, that was part of the code amendment uh, under the special events part. So that's number seven, and we can talk about that one now. Okay, so this one, yeah, I, I was separating them in my mind. So um, anything else on, 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 the, on the photo aspect of it or the, what we've been discussing? <coughs> we've captured those notes we can we'll, we'll see when we get a final approval whether we'll make those changes and discussed. Well I think I mean just for a further discussion, I think we need to filming. I mean who uses film anymore? So we really have to define what that means. Uh, John referred to it. Is it do we use is filming a word for what? Who uses moving pictures. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go back to the old. <laughs> the well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there you're right. There are many times. Uh, that's just a that's just a strange, um, antiquated way of looking at things. So I think we need to figure out what the updated language is for for reproduction of whatever it is. So, um, and the. Uh, the, in terms of after sunset, I'm fine with, you know, an hour after sunset uh, language. That's fine with me. I don't know how the rest of you feel, but that makes some sense. Um, and also, I think the, the, you know, the division between interior, where it's not going to impact people, and exterior. So an interior shoot could go on all night long, um, as far as I'm concerned, as long as it's meets noise and lighting regulations. So um, so that that could be exempt. I don't know. But those are just some clarifications I think we need. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's move on to uh, to helicopters. And uh, I want to start this conversation, just ask John Ely a question, uh, because in the past where we haven't really defined the use of the helicopters in regards specifically t for special events, now we're trying to uh, come up with some standards, again, specifically for special events. So, uh, and so John, again, if you would just uh, reiterate what you told us last time, why we would feel that we would need to do this, and then the other concern that we've heard from the community vis-a-vis -vis some emails is that we're trying to uh, take over the authority of the FAA in regards to 
these code suggestions for special events? Um, well, the language concerning helicopters is on page 7 of 12, uh, at the very bottom of that page. It relates to uh, what is uh, overall a, a, a number 6, a low-impact photo-slash-movie film production. So it doesn't relate to anything other than that. Um, uh, uh, anything outside of the low-impact photo-movie film production, these... Um, criteria relating to helicopters would not apply. Um, so, uh, particularly, George, in reference to your comments, it does not interject the county into the business of the FAA or change the way pilots fly helicopters or fixed-wing aircrafts or, or any other type of aircraft. It, uh, it only relates to the special uh, use permit or, te or temporary commercial use permit as related to a low-impact photo movie film production. Actually, John, we were, that was seven in a, in a row of all standards for temporary commercial uses. We weren't relating that directly to six. To six? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, all right. it's, it's so that's, okay, under, under temporary use special events, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven helicopters. Is then my comment overall. is that the, uh, the helicopter regulation applies only to temporary commercial use or special event permits as opposed to just general flying or aviation. Correct. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mike, back to you. Sure. <coughs> so, um, as you're all aware, the board has had, since I've actually been with the county, a, a long-standing policy to not use helicopters <coughs> for filming special events. Um, and this would come in the form of like, you know, filming a, a, a ski event or a snowboard event. Um, uh, we commonly get the request to use helicopters for filming a car commercial, which is uh, not allowed. And it's always been the policy, and staff has always um, expressed that policy to uh, folks that we talk to. And what we're trying to do is actually codify that language so we have it in the code as legislation. Um, staff proposed some language at first reading, uh, the last board meeting, and the board directed staff to um, devise some criteria so that the board um, could actually approve a helicopter um, under some circumstances. And what staff did, we took, a, we took a stab at some of the thoughts that were provided at the last hearing, and uh, I can just read them for the record here. Um, we thought um, under seven here that we should include A, B, C, and D. A says that you can have a helicopter um, with the understanding that there is a clear and demonstrable marketing benefit to the community. B, the helicopter will be used for live <coughs> broadcast. C, uh, applicant will provide a factual representation, uh, provided that there will be no detrimental impact to wildlife. And then D, safety concerns, safety concerns shall be adequately addressed. And those are some of the ideas that the commissioners had at the last hearing, um, so we're open to, to listen to some other things, too. And I need to add one more thing, too, George. Um, in my memo, I, I made a mistake. Uh, I included the, the discussion we talked about, which was drones, and these are these unmanned you know, helicopters that go up and, and can film with a remote control on the ground. And we talked about them, um, and I actually forgot to put the word drones in the ordinance under page 7 of 12 here, what we're talking about. And in fact, I spoke with someone in the industry after the memo came out, and drones really aren't the appropriate term to be using. Um, really, it should be uh, what, as I understand, the FAA calls it an unmanned aerial vehicle, and the acronym is UVA. So 
in number seven, we'll say helicopters and unmanned aerial vehicles shall not be used, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we'll just include that if that's okay. okay. Thank you. Rachel? Yeah, um, a couple of things. Uh, number seven is not clear to me the lead-in language as to whether the uh, applicant needs to hit any of these criteria or they have to hit all of these criteria. And it just isn't clear, you know, um, because we're talking about assuring going from a blanket policy that was unspoken or was spoken but uncodified to a, a statement to finding criteria. And now it, it just, you know, you know, these are the considerations. To me, it's almost like a, a hearing of an appeal of a land use when we have a finding of one of three things, but you don't have to find all three things to, to, to be able to be granted. So I think that needs to be clarified. Um, the, the second is the thing I don't think we fully have captured in here is um, uh, the restocking of supplies that was like for the Grand Traverse race. And so, uh, you know, factual representation shall be provided there to be um, no detrimental impacts to wildlife was kind of part of that uh, because we were told it was better for wildlife than bringing in, you know, multiple snowmobiles. Trip, trips to bring the same supplies in for the race. But um, I, I, I think this one is more about whether or not you're uh, uh, buzzing elk herds to try to take pictures of elk herds, you know, and things like that, which obviously we don't want to see happen in the winter. So I think that the, the other, there is another criteria there which is uh, related to, um, it is determined as the most appropriate way to resupply you know, folks in the backcountry, or I'd imagine that if there was an event in the backcountry, this, you know, Grand Traverse race or something like that, and it was best for Mountain Rescue to save someone from their special event, that we would allow it on an emergency basis. You know, I mean, maybe that it's already covered somewhere else and it doesn't even have to come back to us. Um, you know, I'm sure the Flight for Life and emergency pickup with Mountain Rescue. Um, you know, they just have their own policies and procedures, and, and our special event permits wouldn't rely to those. But so, but uh, I, I don't. The one other area where it was used as an example that had been permitted before was coming from that Grand Traverse race. I don't think we covered that. And then, lastly, for me, I think we really need to separate helicopters and these unmanned aerial vehicles into two different sections of the code to the extent they're going to be, rather than try to group them together. I think there's radical differences with them in terms of weight and, you know, potential downsides to them. You know, the helicopter thing is something that has come from a long time with our sheriff's office uh, about the uh, potential uh, danger of those items. Um, there was a pretty large helicopter crash in Paris just in the last week. And, you know, you can have... That oh, was it, London? Okay. And, and, you know, I, I, you read those fairly often, and especially with the sort of terrain we have here and, and conditions, um, I think that, that it really does deserve a very thoughtful and thorough consideration anytime it's for a commercial purpose or a special event. Um, the unmanned aerial vehicles, I will say, I, I personally realize I don't have as much experience with them or understanding of them, and, you know, it's a relatively new technology. Uh, I know that in a lot of communities, law enforcement is beginning to use them. 
They're using them for wildfire spotting. <coughs> They're using them for a lot of different activities. And it, it just, I, I appreciate Michael bringing them up as being something to consider. Uh, but I do think that perhaps we need, uh, or I, I feel at least I need, a better working familiarity with them before starting to say what is the appropriate code. Okay, thank you. John? Just a quick comment based on uh, Rachel's uh, observations. Uh, the way I would read this paragraph 7 is, um, is that these A through D criteria are read in the, uh, in the conjunctive. In other words, ands. In between. I don't know if that would reflect your the board's intent, but that's how I think it would be interpreted if it were to go to uh, a different tribunal. Also, this refers to helicopters should not be used. The language says shall helicopters should not be used for filming, um, as opposed to say resupply or safety rescue or anything else. So I would I would read this as the application totally of helicopters only those. to right. Exactly. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Questions or comments, Rob? In light of what John just said, these being all of these have to apply, I'm not so sure that live broadcast is in all ways has to apply, in, in my opinion. Meaning if, they're, if there's commercial benefit and they're filming it to be broadcast later, this is saying that they, they don't apply no matter what. But could be used for broadcast as opposed to live broadcast. I mean, without the broadcast, what's the marketing value to the community? I mean, you know, because I, I, I think I could be wrong, but I think the board's intent was that this is not going to be suddenly for 60-second car commercials. You know, is going to be. It was really centered around the bicycle race and watching the uh, racers come over Independence Pass. <coughs> But in real time. In real time, to the extent possible. To do. Yeah, you could say broadcast or rebroadcast, and, and and you know maybe you're right that it's going to be on a two-hour delay with ESPN because of the world markets, and we don't want to, you know, make it have to be live broadcast, <coughs> live or rebroadcast. If that's the appropriate term. Anything else? I, I'm just not sure that we got to it. There were definitive answer several emails that people sent with regards to air, you know filming from helicopters, and uh, it's a similar situation to the the, the filming stuff that um, I think there are concerns out there that they feel like the wording could be better. One one instance is safety concerns shall be adequately addressed, um, and the emails mention that the FAA can, is really the one that has a whole set of rules concerning safety regulations for any, for any aircraft, and they thought that the wording of that is uh, vague and could be improved on a lot. Um, I can't recall. That's the main the main point that they made was talking about that the FAA should be the one regulating the 
the safety aspects of helicopter flight. So, so we, we could just add safety concerns shall be ad adequately addressed uh, per FAA guidelines, regulations, requirements, something like that? Yeah, I think some wording like that would be in order. There's the safety concerns have mostly been expressed by our sheriff's department, and and I'm sure they would not want to be left out of the loop to uh, just the FAA. There may be some different things that our local sheriff's department looks at than the FAA does. Okay. You know, I, I want to make sure we're we're all clear. We're all talking about the same thing because. Um, I realize that some people will object and not support this, but we're not talking about opening up the doors for commercial shooting in general. It's just in conjunction with you know, specific special events. And to that end, you know, we were depending upon the event organizers to coordinate, say, with the hospital and the airport here locally of what would they do if there was a flight for life during that time period. You know, how would they coordinate that? How would they understand that and in the airspace? So those were the types of things that in, in, I think we were talking about, which really have direct connection to the permit for the special event, as opposed to broader FAA safety rules for vehicles uh, or aerial vehicles, aircraft. So, I, you know, I, I also would not want to necessarily add that. I'm sorry, add what? Well, he had said I threw that out, so Rachel. Into yeah. our, our regulations. You know, it's, it's not, you know, we're not going to begin having marketed helicopter tours of the Aspen area, homes of the rich and famous. You know, th there's no application for those sort of permits available. But this was just making it clear that we could permit for special events such as the bike race. Rob? I, I'm just. A little unclear because my thought process for letter D, safety concerns shall be adequately addressed, to me is kind of saying, well, FAA is not adequately addressing them. I mean, any flight that goes up by FAA into FAA space has to address the concerns of the FAA. So are we saying now that the FAA doesn't address safety concerns? Are they going to approve our special event permits too? No, no. I mean, but the point is, is that you know, where are we to override FAA? And I, I don't know what the answer. Where, what's the sheriff's concern that there should be more stringent yeah. regulations or guidelines than the FAA regarding safety for various things? And I'm not sure what that is. Um, let me give. If this helps, I'll give an example of where. Um, in our mind, and I'm speaking now for the sheriff's office because I remember it vividly, we had about six or seven years ago an application for a, an international artist to construct these um, very large dice. And these dice were like, <clears throat> like you play crafts, dice. And the idea was that these, that these dice would be picked up via helicopter. And these things are massive. These are 10 by 10 by 10. Um, uh, dice. Dice, yes, or art. And he was a performance artist, and um, the performance artist wanted to pick up um, the dice at the uh, Aspen uh, Art Museum down by the river there. And with a helicopter, they would lift these dice up and then helicopter them over to the super pipe at Buttermilk. This was after X Games was done, and then pitch them down um, down the Buttermilk uh, super pipe in, in an effort for performance art. 
And uh, our SO, our Sheriff's Office, and the Aspen Police Department felt there was such a safety concern um, that this was not permissible. In fact, um, they would not allow the helicopter to come down and, and use that, use, pick up these dice and do this. And there was a compromise finally found. They, they actually got a semi-truck and picked it up and, and brought them over there and they did it that way. But that was an instance where um, the sheriff's office and the APD felt it was just, there was, there was too many safety to concerns to adequately address the use. And, and that was an example that I can remember. But FAA would have allowed it, is what you're telling me. That's correct. We don't know if they asked the FAA. Yeah. And, and how long is their permitting process? You know, we, we, we might delay all of our things further by requiring someone to go to the FAA. Well, but, but Rob's point is that the FAA, we're not going to overrule the FAA. Yeah. But we might have particular concerns. I think one of the concerns, certainly of the organizers of the bike race, was that the helicopter didn't go so low as to blow gravel into, into the, bike race. the bike race people. That's not really covered by the FAA. But it is a safety concern. So if they're, they're, they could still be meeting FAA regulations, but still mess up some people. So, so those are the kind of things that we're looking at. And we might not want to, just as a community, mm -hmm. have the risk of low-flying aircraft, even permitted by the FAA, go over our residential sections that might be allowed. We might not want them to um, go over force and that are in danger of a conflagration in the coming drought years, even come close to that. So, so there's a lot of safety concerns that the FAA isn't going to regulate, but they're going to they're going to be under the FAA aegis. But but I think it's reasonable for us to have even further concerns, and that's all we're talking about. I would agree with that. Um, Rob, back to your earlier uh, point or question, and I, I didn't mean to skip over it, but under B, uh, you had a question or comment regarding perhaps we should leave out the word live under live <coughs> broadcast, and, and Rachel's suggestion was live and or rebroadcast. Does that work for you? My thought would be that A takes consideration of B, whether it's of community benefit, and I think you know, the board could make a stand at a point whether or not a commercial is of community benefit to the level that we want it to be. And I think this board, I don't know what this board's opinion on that would be, but the point is is that A says, does it have a marketing benefit to the, you know, a, a demonstrable marketing benefit to the community? And B is not needed because the criteria for B would be whether or not it's got value to the community. But, but, but that's a much broader definition if, we, if, you, if you leave out B. Uh, B just narrows it down slightly because we don't want helicopters on a constant basis. So, so you, you had better have a, a, not only a compelling marketing benefit to the community, but you, you'd better have a live broadcast because that's the fundamental nature of what you're trying to do, like the bike race. In other words, the, the bike race, because it was a live competition, needed that. They, they made the point that they needed that helicopter there. Otherwise, you would just have, it's, it's a marketing benefit to the community. You could have helicopters on a daily basis. And, and, and that's not something I'm interested in. 
Well, I, I, I can only agree. I don't think we should be opening the door to hearing. And I, I mentioned this our very first ruling. We don't want to lead anyone down a merry path of thinking that they should go through the application process and do everything else just to get our, our board at our discretion and saying, no, that's not a large enough, clear, and marketable benefit. And, you know, I mean, we need to be real. I, I don't want to talk only about economic benefit. There's neighborhood impacts, you know, and I was willing to accept, and, and many were, the forest clearing on Smuggler Mountain with helicopter loads because it was less disruptive, or the clearing that the uh, Forest Service, I think, or was it Colorado Parks and Wildlife did in the Woody Creek area, uh, it was permitted, but it's very, very noisy, and it's day after day of day after noise, and the noise in the winter can be particularly disruptive to wildlife and uh, our elk concerns and habitat, and it echoes throughout the valley. It's, it's not, you know, contained in any way. So I really would like to leave that standard in there because <coughs> we only were opening the door, and it was a considerable um, push to do it in conjunction with the bike race. So, George, just so I'm clear, it sounds like Rachel wants to keep the language live broadcast. Live or rebroadcast, but I, I, something but about I broadcast. I guess I don't understand the language there, because rebroadcast, a commercial is rebroadcast. No, it's rebroadcast. So it's like saying live or not live broadcasting. No. Well, I don't know what rebroadcast means. But what I meant <laughs> is that if it is filmed for some reason and there's a delay, and they're not going to put it on until 2 o'clock in the afternoon because there's a huge tennis match at 1 on ESPN. What if they're showing it the next day? That's then that doesn't apply. If they're showing it a week later, that doesn't apply. If, if the, okay, if we the could just say for broadcast, you know, and, and, and you know, a national broadcast or an, an broadcast in conjunction with a sporting event may be a way to clarify it. I appreciate you're asking to clarify it, yeah. but uh, again, I don't want to write it in such a way that it's interpreted by someone reading our code, oh, that's great, I can come in and um, do a new uh, commercial shoot for a car going over Independence Pass, and that's going to be okay to track this car by helicopter. I'm just saying that we need to have definitive language to stand behind it. <laughs> I think live broadcast is fairly definitive. I'm comfortable with that. That's what that was what our approval was based for the bike race. And and that's why we said, well, we don't normally do this, but <coughs> the bike race is convinced that it's um, that you need to have a live broadcast in order to to have the best possible event. They we went ahead and did it. But in I feel that that means that if there's some glitch in their system that they can't broadcast live, we're grounding that helicopter. We want to get the uh -huh. we want to get the but footage, you didn't like but we're not going to use we're not going <laughs> to use it. But my whole point is is that the language doesn't mean anything if you say for live broadcast or rebroadcast. Okay. It's like saying for for a positive or a negative, well, I, and saying, it's good. I, I'm saying live broadcast is good enough for me. I'm not mentioning rebroadcast. Well, but that's also saying that we're grounding a helicopter if they say, the bike race says they can't broadcast live. Well, they, they, they couldn't. Uh, the first year they had they had uh, technical difficulties. We should have grounded them. No, 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 no. Their intent was always, and I believe them, was to have a live broadcast. Based on their intent to have a live broadcast, we permitted it. Whether they went through uh, 
technical difficulties, whatever, that's, I'm not going to, this is, you have to show intent to have a live broadcast, whether or not you have it or not, I don't know. And maybe that's the language we should have, the intent to have a live broadcast. Steve? I'm remembering Wide World of Sports, which a lot of that was not live, it was rebroadcast stuff, all condensed into Saturday afternoon. The event maybe took place on another day of the week, but they they filmed it like did a documentary or whatever with the intention of rebroadcasting it on that time on Saturday afternoon. Um, somebody could also just be making a documentary of the bike race and not actually broadcasting it live. It, it could still have equal value for you know uh, marketing benefit for the community as a you know that sort of a thing instead of a live broadcast. Perhaps language like the helicopter will be used for uh, excuse me I'm sorry. I was going to say, is necessary for broadcast of a sporting event, whether it's live or rebroadcast or in a documentary. But the helicopter is necessary uh, for for to produce broadcast materials for a sporting event. But the thing we're not linking it into there is for an athletic or sporting event. It's not in that language. Would that get closer to what you're saying? But I just want language that has meaning is the okay. only thing to me. And the way do you for live broadcast or rebroadcast doesn't have any meaning in my opinion. What, what would you suggest? I, if, if our intention <coughs> is, it's a different intention, but if our intention is for sporting events only, you know, then I think her language works. I think Michael's language works if the intention is for the intent of the applicant to be, I would say, live or close to live, because everything's got a two-minute delay, <coughs> the argument would be, well, why did you allow them with a two-minute delay? Um, so the question is, what's the intention of the board in terms of what we want to create here? Do we want to create an exemption for sporting events, or do we want to create an exemption for something that is live and the only difference between the two is to try to come up with an example of something that isn't a sporting event that we might want to broadcast live. If President Obama were going to jump off maroon bells and we wanted to film it, <laughs> it's not a sporting <laughs> event. Does it qualify as a sporting event? But it might have significant commercial value to our community but it's not a sporting event. Um, I, I'm just trying to brainstorm what the intent of the, the code amendment is moving forward and have language that has meaning. Well, it seems to me the intent of this language was that we were faced with making decisions on helicopter use. And in general, we're not in favor of it and have never been in favor of it and probably in general would never be in favor of it. So we were trying to narrow the scope of when we would actually approve. And using our past experience of the bike race, which was the first time we were really confronted with, yes, we will permit helicopter use in, in conjunction with this bike race, 
the experience of that is what's reflected in these words here. The experience was it was a live broadcast. Uh, it had demonstrable market value to the community. Um, and, uh, there, and we were concerned we had the Forest Service here, and we talked about wildlife. And we, I think we also had the CPW here. Uh, um, and um, talking about wildlife. So, and then safety concerns. We also talked about that. So they thought that all these come out of that experience with the bike race. And I think that's why they're here, because we've had experience with that. And I'm still comfortable with it as it exists right here. Um, and as our experience dictates going forward, we might want to change it. But now I'm comfortable with this because it mirrors the approval that we made for the bike race. Yeah, and I would agree. I'm comfortable with moving this forward, and this, again, may be uh, something that we can further refine down the road with the help of, of a committee as part of the overall filming committee. That's, this is one aspect of it. I mean, we're, and we're and I think Rachel's idea of a, eliminating the UAV out of this is a, a good one. We'll, we'll deal with that as a separate issue. Yeah. I mean, if you strive for perfection, you, you're never going to get there. I don't want to get too far in the weeds in this stuff and see how it plays out. But I appreciate you bringing it up. I, I sometimes have quarrels over individual words or not as well. You know, we're really missing Jack on this one, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other uh, questions or comments? I'm giving sort of a nod, at least majority, that we're comfortable with with how this is worded at this point. Huh? I'm I'm okay with the language as it's worded. I would just have someone let. Pro challenge know that they cannot get approval within our code unless they are live, and I don't know what the definition of that is. So they may come and, and, ask, for and, and ask for a code amendment when we get to that point. Okay. <laughs> they may run out of time in terms of getting their permit in that case, but that's for them to decide. Okay, uh, what's next, Mike? Well. Uh, the meat and potatoes of our land use code is next with floor area and growth management and an explanation to the board of the Meadowwood Code Amendment that um, staff proposed to clarify. So um, I can start that. Please. Okay. Um, Do you have illustrations, Mike? Are you going to put those up? I've got great ones right, right. here. Yeah. <laughs> Color and everything, too. <laughs> we might have put the screen down. I took that away because it was broken anyway. I'm just so you know, the magnet holder is, it's only got two magnets, so it's turning. Okay. So they all fall out. Okay, watch your head. You can get that so it's good too. Color, yeah. I get it. I even talked about smaller before we even came in. Okay. Okay, so what um, this section of the code amendments are, um, or is, is for the Meadowwood subdivision, and this is this is truly a, a basically a, a very minor and clarification code amendment in scope, but it entails some delving into zoning and growth management, and then this specific resolution that was adopted by the board in 1999. So what um, we wanted to do was just quickly go over some zoning and, and what this means in terms of the code amendment. Um, so the basic tenets of zoning in Pickham County is we have you know rural areas and urban areas and um, they're defined by what's called our urban growth boundary. 
our urban growth boundaries defined as, as basically our metro area, uh, including the city of Aspen and some of the areas like Red Mountain, uh, Meadowwood subdivision, uh, a few places east of Aspen. Um, and basically, that's our urban growth boundary. Meadowwood subdivision is zoned R30. And it's a residential zone district with a 30,000 square foot lot size. And it's within our urban growth boundary, our UGB. And what the R30 zone district provides for is a floor area ratio of 0.13 or 13%. And what that means is you'll, you'll hear this term in the paper, you'll hear it um, from staff, it's, it's basically your FAR, your floor area ratio. And in the R30 zone district, it's 13%. And what that means is that when you have a big lot, this box right here, you get a big above grade floor area. So the bigger lots you have, the larger above grade um, house you can build then. On a smaller lot in the R30 zone district, you get a smaller above grade floor area. So it's a ratio and um, big lots get big above grade floor area, small lots get small above grade floor area. And it's dictated by R30. Um, now, this is- Could you simplify that for <laughs> Oh, man, I'm trying. <laughs> now, uh, the R30 zone district uh, for Meadowwood is within our urban growth boundary, our UGB. And specific in our land use code, we have some zoning <coughs> exemptions for uh, lots with FARs, floor area ratios, within the urban growth boundary. And those exemptions currently are today 4,000 square feet for a subgrader basement space, and 750 square feet for a garage. So if one wanted to max build out um, a scenario in the R30, one would build up to their allowable floor area pursuant to their FAR, uh, in this case 13%, and then they would build a 4,000 square foot subgrade space and a 750 square foot garage. And that is, the uh, majority of phone calls we get is what someone can build out in zoning, and, and this is the answer. This is, this is what you are regulated to in Pickens County. So that's zoning in R30. Now, I'm going to put this away because okay. this does not apply anymore. We are going to talk about growth management, which is also depicted in this, in this blue box here. Growth management <laughs> was instituted in 1978 and is uh, chapter six of our land use code. Um, and basically, it, this is my depiction of, of Pickham County, the boundary right here. Very good. Our <laughs> <laughs> Our current growth management exemption for the entirety of the county, for all of Pickham County, is 5,750 square feet. Um, and that was instituted in um, 2006, where we made 5,750 applicable to all of the county. Um, we also, in 2006, when we wrote our land use code, we instituted a 15,000 square foot maximum, meaning that no matter what your floor area gives you, uh, whether you're, you're on Red Mountain or somewhere else, you can have a max floor area of 15,000 square feet. So what this means is that um, someone can build floor area up to 5,750 square feet exempt from use of transferable development rights, TDRs, or growth management quota systems, our, our growth management chapter six in our land use code. If anyone wants to go above 5,750, then TDRs are required or you have to get uh, an allotment through GMQS, which is a biannual competition where we award floor area to basically good projects, projects that can, can uh, meet threshold and score enough points in our point system to get floor area. Um, we so rarely get applications for GMQS. Really what the market does is they, they buy TDRs and they come through special review to land those TDRs up to 15,000. Now, 
there are two caucus areas within the code that don't have a 15,000 square foot max, and that's the Emma Caucus and the Snowmass Capital Caucus. And the frying pan. Frying pan. Oh, and the frying pan, correct. Um, they have smaller limitations. They have smaller limitations. Emma and Snowcap have an 8250 floor area cap, meaning you can only land one TDR in those two caucus areas. And then in the frying pan, they have an overlay zone district that is at 4,000 square feet. So that's growth management. <coughs> now we're going we're gonna to meld these two things together here. So we have zoning and we have floor and, uh, and growth management. And Meadowwood subdivision is very unique because they have a specific resolution that I attached in your packets. And that resolution says, and our land use code says, that their growth management exemption is their allowed floor area plus 2,528 square feet. And it's quirky and it's different, and it's, and it's outlined in the resolution, and it's in two places in our land use code. And the implication of this is that when you are a big lot in, in Meadowwood subdivision, you can potentially have a big growth management exemption. And I use just this number, 7,500 square feet of growth management exemption because of this resolution right here, allowing that extra 2,528 square feet. Now, there are some instances in Meadowwood where there are some small lots, and their small lots potentially can only dictate them having a growth management exemption of 4,750 square feet. And that is very quirky and very, well, I should say not clear, because the entirety of Pickens County has a 5,750 5, square feet growth management exemption. And what staff wanted to do was clarify the land use code in those two parts that says that 5,000 square feet, I'm sorry, 5,750 square feet is the growth management growth management exemption for all of Meadowwood. And the way we structure the code of that is uh, that these small lots that don't get 5750 for growth management, not zoning, but growth management, can have that 5750. And that makes it equitable and clear um, and provides uh, the same growth management exemption for all of Pickley County. Very good, Mike. Very good. <laughs> oh, I mean, it was... No, that was very helpful versus the narrative. I just have one question. And when I was looking at the uh, Exhibit D on 9 of 12, it looks as if what you're allowing is the small lot, in your example, to go up to 5750, but the big lot would be able to develop whichever is greater. Is that, am I reading that right? Yep, and that greater would be that right there, what, what they're allowed pursuant yeah. to that resolution. Depending on the size of the lot. Yes. Exactly. Okay. I was just throwing numbers out to get the board. The reason I was asking that is that particular resolution that is included at the end of the packet <coughs> is a function of litigation that the county was involved in with the Meadowwood Homeowners Association a long time ago. I'm not sure when that was done. But at any rate, there was some ambiguity within the uh, the language on the, uh, the PUD plat for Meadowwood. And the county took a strict interpretation. Meadowwood argued for a looser one. Meadowwood, Meadowwood prevailed, uh, and that resolution was a consequence of that um, that litigation. So uh, we would, I think, be in a situation of a problem if we were rolling back yeah. the language in that resolution. But what you're doing here is really just expanding right. the language in that resolution, relaxing the um, the limitation on some of the laws. That's how I'm reading this. Is that a is there a different intent? 
I think that's correct, but the clarification is that we're not changing zoning. We're, we're talking about growth management. Right. That's right. right. The, and also, some of you will remember when we adopted that 5750 countywide growth management exemption, that was controversial. Meadowood was here and said, okay, if you make this change and treat us differently. And that's what we did, and that is the result. And all we're doing is making it very clear that the small lots are going to get treated like the larger lots, and they're also going to have a 5750 exemption if they can't get to it with their floor area and the 2,528 2, square feet. And we're just trying to be <coughs> equitable and clear. Okay, good. Questions? Well, I just, I'm assuming this, but you can reconfirm for me. They would still have to uh, abide by any height limit, any side yard setbacks, Correct. and things like that. So it doesn't give them any waiver to get to 5750 if the, the box is too small. And then all of these will get the still remaining 4,000 square feet subgrade if they can accomplish it on the... Uh, again, within the side yard setbacks and everything. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? <coughs> uh, is, has Meadowwood subdivision been included in this discussion at community development? Yeah, it actually, and what we are trying to put in writing is how we have been administering this because it was, it's a clarification in our mind because it was the fair thing to do. So they're aware of it. They're and I, I didn't know them about the code amendment. And they are comfortable with it and it's something they'd like to see. <coughs> yes. Okay. Is that um, all right for right now? We have one more thing to go? Uh, we have two more. Yeah, two more. Okay. Wishful thinking. Yeah. Um, so this will be Exhibit E of the board's ordinance, page 10 of 12. And I'm going to go back to another sheet here because this will also provide some clarification on, on what we're talking about. Chapter 9 is our non-conforming section of the land use code. And uh, it's, it talks about legal non-conforming structures uh, within the county. And in the county, there are certain um, floor areas uh, that have been exceeded, and have been exceeded for a number of reasons, because um, zoning changed, they were built in the 60s, um, and uh, they just can't conform to it. And, and this is the purpose of this code amendment. We talked about it at the last hearing, and the board wanted clarification on what this actually means. So uh, Chapter 9, like I stated, is, the, is our legal nonconforming section. We have two processes for uh, legal nonconforming structures. And this is uh, processes that were that are in place so that uh, one process can be administratively reviewed and one can be reviewed by the board of county commissioners. And um, the the section that we're proposing to change is uh, the section that deals with restoration without significant changes. And the purposes of, the, of this amendment is that uh, we want to add the word gross into the language so that it effectively kicks it to a Board of County Commissioner review. And I'll explain what this means. Um, when someone exceeds their floor area, and floor area is defined, and I'll, I'll go to my chart here so you can see, 
floor area is defined as your above grade floor area. Okay, so this big lot gets a big above grade floor area, and small lot gets a small above grade floor area. That's your floor area. Gross floor area is when you add in these subgrade exemptions and these and this uh, this garage exemption of 750 square feet. So this is considered floor area, and the addition of these two exemptions we call that gross floor area. And the way the current code reads is that when someone wants to expand floor area, um, it's, it ends up being a board review. And we've seen it before, at like La Chamonix, where they want to expand floor area for the basements. We, we've seen that. But that's the way the code reads today is that when someone uh, wants to expand gross floor area, it's actually not a Board of County Commissioner review. It's actually um, a staff level review. And it was a nuance that came up in a couple projects um, and staff felt that um, these really should be Board of County Commissioner reviews, that when someone's exceeding, uh, increasing their, their, their gross floor area, this is no longer a restoration with, without significant changes. This is a restoration of significant change that becomes a Board of County Commissioner review. Um, so with the addition of that word gross, it kicks it to a BOCC review and it's no longer a staff level review. And that's the proposed code change in the nexus behind it. Questions? But when it comes to us as a review, is there then board discretion about whether to allow the full rebuilding or how much? Yeah. yeah, let me, I can, I'll read those standards. I'm sorry. Get those quickly. <laughs> the standards. With significant changes are uh, Board of County Commissioners uh, finds that any adverse impacts of the nonconforming use or structure on the neighborhood or the county as a whole uh, to be tolerable. The structure or use is consistent with the adopted master plans for the area. The applicant demonstrates that the purpose of the development is to meet practical difficulties and hardships that arise from the existing restrictions upon repair, alteration, or restoration and that it will improve the function and appearance of the structure. Those are the criteria that the board would use to determine whether or not an expansion of an existing non-conforming structure is appropriate. Okay, and let me just follow this one or two more steps. With the riparian setback code of 100 feet from the high water mark, there are now a lot of non-conforming structures to that code. And I realize there are some additional language within that section that allows someone to uh, expand or not. Um, but that expansion of those nonconforming uses would now, with this addition of the word gross floor area, definitely be kicked up to this board. Yeah. Well, no, actually not, because that's a nonconformity by virtue of a setback. These are nonconformity. The, the code amendment we're okay. proposing is by virtue of exceeding your allowable floor area. So okay. two separate things. Thank you for that. Thanks. Okay. Anything else? No, I'm okay with this. I appreciate the explanation. Okay. Last one. This is the last one. This is a Exhibit F, and this is our grocery store definition. Um, and this is unchanged from the last definition that staff proposed. And I know that Rachel had brought up some concerns about it, but when I was checking the nods from the board, it seemed like there was a majority that said this was okay. 
Um, but if not, let us know and we can alter it too. Why don't you just read it for the public? Oh, sure. Um, so grocery store is not defined in our code, but we would define it as um, means a retail establishment that is primarily engaged in sales of packaged food and produce rather than, rather than food prepared for consumption on the premises or other goods. Okay. Everyone live with that? I'll live with that. Live with that? Okay. Great. That was easy. <laughs> the last one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I would entertain a motion. Yeah, I, I need to ask Johnny Lee yes. one question on this because I, I heard your explanation to Rob before, but I still got a little bit lost. Do we pass this in its entirety as a motion, as amended to the extent we amended it, and then it kind of goes on hold until P and Z catches up on the two provisions that we have changed, and then it comes back to us for a third and final, or do we need to kind of separate this out into two things that one we're passing finally and the other we're kicking back as a separate motion. You can go in either direction. If you would like to get something in place and adopt what you reviewed twice, you can certainly do that, and that would require you breaking it off, um, basically because you're adopting on a, uh, a second reading those elements of the ordinance that you've already reviewed. The elements that you're seeing for the first time, you'd have to adopt on a first reading and send to the PNZ for their review, and they'll come back to you. So, um, or you can, or if you keep it all together, Nothing will be in there, into effect until it's all assembled in one joined again at the end. package. I just I, I don't know which is the easier motion to try to make. I guess this clearly. <laughs> well, I guess the question the question would be whether we want to pass those under second reading that, that have already gone through P and C, or we want to have P and C look at it and they have any feedback. That's the opportunity for them to come back to us at second reading. I don't know if one is easier than the other, uh, but it's up to the board's uh, preference as to whether you want to get something adopted in right now or if you want to keep it all together and have it go in together. Which ones would we adopt? Could we adopt right, right now? That's my problem. I would, uh, staff would, would be hopeful that those that did not have language changes or concerns could move forward because we're anxious to have them in the code. And, can and that, that would be the definition of the grocery store, the change to the restoration without significant changes, the Meadowood subdivision item, and adding the appeal uh, to the hearing officer's determinations on TDRs. Those all would be at second reading and approvable. And would not require going back to the PNZ. We would prefer that we. I would make a motion to that effect. Second. Uh, discussion, Rob. And, and just to be clear, so that's looking at this ordinance. That's pulling out Chapter Four, Exhibit B, um, temporary commercial use special events, and Chapter Eleven, Exhibit G, temporary commercial use special events. Correct. And everything else would be included Correct. in this ordinance. Okay. 
Further questions or discussion? Is there a second? There was a second. I guess one more question. After this, we would be approving first reading for the other two? Okay. Okay. If there's no further discussion, all in favor say aye. Aye. Great. Now we can go back to those. I'll make a motion for the same ordinance for first reading for the Chapter 4 temporary commercial use special events and the Chapter 11 Exhibit G amendment to the definition of temporary commercial use special events. And we had some addendums to that, some changes. I just wanted to make sure. I think I captured them all, but let me know. That would include clarifying that one paragraph in terms of what's actually excluded, adding an additional car to be excluded. Let's see. Extending the hours for photo shoots to one hour after sunset. Michael added a last one we didn't really discuss. If it's interior, there's really no time frame as long as it still meets noise and lighting code. And an updated language for moving pictures film. Yes. May I propose the language one hour after sunset or 7 o'clock, whichever is greater? Because I do believe that on the smallest day of the year, 7 o'clock is later. Sure. Or 7 o'clock p.m., whichever is later. Do we want to have wording for unmanned aerial vehicles added also? Helicopters and unmanned aerial vehicles. It's not in it. It was presented to us. We removed it for further consideration. Yeah. And I also had that Rachel wanted us to break out this so that we have a better understanding of the exempt commercial use and special event activity, too. Rather than doing a run-on sentence, make a definitive statement. Does that capture everything? I think so. Is that acceptable for your motion, Ron? That's acceptable for my motion. You know, I haven't got a second yet, but I'll second. Second with the discussion. Thank you. I think that as we send this back to the Planning and Zoning Commission, we should have a little bit of a footnote, which can be conveyed by staff, but that, you know, we acknowledge that maybe this is as far as this work has gotten so far, and we would like to be able to update the codes at least in a first step type of fashion, and that, you know, to the extent there are issues brought forward in the public hearing to P&Z that they feel comfortable with, then that's their job to add or include them. But if it is seeming like something like the Agricultural Task Force is going to take three months or four months or five months, you know, it may be good to move it forward as improved at the time, and then still with the commitment to go forward with a larger task force to look at a greater simplification of it afterwards. But I don't want it to get either bogged down in their workload, which could take quite a while to process through, that basically legitimizes a certain number of activities right now. And so, you know, again, we're not shutting the door, 
but it, um, I don't know that we're tasking our P and Z to become our task force to resolve all those issues. Yeah, I think I, I understand. We we want to try to limit them to these proposed code amendments and the language in them and that they make a recommendation on that that would come back to you yeah. in and, a timely fashion. And again, if there's simple or anything like this, it's not <coughs> to close it down, but if it's something right. that is going to then send us all in a circular direction and we don't even get any improvement for a lengthy period of time, right. that would that would not be our intent. And then to add on to that, I think what I saw not ahead was that we would uh, be receptive to forming a committee uh, to further work and refine uh, these codes. So again, so PNC does not have to get into that minutia. Uh, that would be our that be our recommendation. And then also, PNZ will they uh, have the have the opportunity at some form or fashion, print or media or uh, on grassroots to to sort of view our discussion of this, so they understand some of the issues and so they don't have to rehash. I, I can let them know that it is, it is available on their computers to uh, watch this session. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe if we can get them a link to this portion of it, that'd be great. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It just seems like, time. it seems like that would actually speed up their discussion and process if they've had the opportunity so they don't have to um, sort of go through this whole... Depends. <laughs> anyway, okay, great. So we have a motion uh, with those amendments. We have a second. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all in favor say aye. Aye. Great. Thank you, staff, for all your help on this. Okay, uh, open discussion. Do we have anything, John? Um, just a um, quick item for you. Uh, we, we have been working on... Uh, looking at space needs and such in the old courthouse, it's been we've been we've had a larger project looking at space. We needs. We don't have a new courthouse. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> in the courthouse. In, in the old courthouse, um, and I just wanted to let you know that um, as, as we've been working with departments, are we particularly at a crunch in space with our APD, uh, Aspen Police Department, and Sheriff's Department. Um, we've had discussions with the sheriff and our new DA coming in and um, looking at the square footage for an employee there. There was a, um, a, a large difference, and we've reached an agreement to actually switch the um, office suites uh, coming up probably in this next few weeks. We still have to put the timeline uh, together for it, but that... Um, the sheriff's department, so being the sheriff, uh, under sheriff, operations manager, um, record specialist, and their admin staff would be moving up in the space that's currently occupied um, by the two and a half uh, FTEs in the DA's office. And the DA's office, which is on the first floor, those positions would be moving down into that what's currently the, the sheriff's suite, and it allows us some more flexibility um, to give both the APD and sheriff's department operations some more room. And so we've been working with everyone on this for, for some time and have developed a plan. Um, we are still nailing down the exact timing of that move, and we'll be, of course, keeping you and, and the public informed. But wanted to let you know that it's a, a forthcoming uh, move based on analysis that we've been doing with everyone there. 
Okay. Anybody else have anything for open discussion today? Seeing none, I'll entertain a motion to go into exec session <coughs> for the purpose of? This would be for the purpose of a discussion uh, regarding the open space purchase of the Salt Stall Ranch or the Half Act Ranch. Um, this would be pursuant to CRS 246 I'll make that motion. Second. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all in favor say aye. 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 Great. Thank you, Grassroots. We'll take a few minute break here. While Grassroots breaks down, we can. I gotta go get a seat. Okay. <laughs>